Ho, ho, ho! Jingle bells! Jingle bells! Jingle bells! It's a podcast about jingle bells! Jingle bells! Jingle bells! It's a podcast about jingle bells! Hello and welcome to the back page of Video Games Podcast. I'm Samuel Roberts and I'm joined as ever by Matthew Castle. Hello. Matthew, two pods in two evenings. How are you feeling about it? Uh, Yeah, tired. <laughs> <laughs> but two pods in two evenings, but they're going live weeks apart. Yeah. So God knows how the world will have changed. Always a, always a risk doing these this early. Yeah, we're um, doing this before the Game Awards, right? So if there's any big reveals, <laughs> there might be some things that... Have, well, GTA would have been revealed by the time this goes live, yeah. right? and we haven't got any takes on that. So... <laughs> That's tough. Let's both let's both guess a take. Yeah, yeah. I really, I really thought that Les Dennis was a bold choice for the main protagonist, you know, in GTA Six. But you know, ultimately, he has fought hard to establish credibility in the acting space, and so I wish him well. That is true. Uh, I was thrilled that they used Randy Newman's "I Love LA." For the background music of the first trailer. <laughs> yeah, I was pleased that every trailer was sponsored by DoorDash. That was good. Um, I thought that the use of Robbie Williams' Rude Box in the trailer for <laughs> Bloodborne Remaster was like a bold <laughs> one. But ultimately, people were were fine with it, and that's good. And I always thought Rude Box was a little bit underrated when it came back in 2006. <laughs> that Netflix documentary was like, you know, it's obviously raised his profile. I think Bloodborne, Rude Box, Robbie Williams, it's a great combo and i wish everyone well with their venture so uh, absolutely and of course good to see telltale going from strength to strength following (laughs) up the expanse with an adaptation of saltburn which i cannot (laughs) wait to play I thought um, it was controversial to announce uh, From Hell VR and have you play as Jack the Ripper. I wouldn't <laughs> say that was necessarily a most tasteful decision, but, you know, I mean, Alan Moore, I think, will be fine with that. So, uh, well done, everyone. Uh, well, we uh, didn't even... This is a better bit than the bit we've actually got planned for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we didn't plan this one. So you can hear me struggling with my Bloodborne gag. So I was like, oh, fuck, I haven't got... I can't improvise more than, like, one joke. This is tough. Les Dennis is very like low hanging fruit to be honest. I feel bad about that one already, and uh, I really do wish him well. Okay, so this episode then, <laughs> unless he's unless he's done something awful in the last two weeks, <laughs> I'm sure he hasn't. He's fine. I'm sure he hasn't. But if he has, just so we've got our backs covered. Insurance we don't wish policy. him. We don't wish that with him version of him well. <laughs> yeah, brackets. We may or may not wish him well, um, <laughs> pending uh, future events. So yes, okay. So that's good. This episode then. I wanted to basically capture the madness of the Star Wars Holiday Special from 1977 in the form of an episode. So um, that's what we're doing here, basically. They're always at 77 or is it 78? One of those two years. A notoriously cursed endeavour uh, with lots of like weird segments and strange things going on. And like, you know, it becoming the stuff of legend. So I want this episode to like disappear off, off, offline at some point and then everyone talks about it in hushed tones and the only way you can listen to it is if someone passes you a cassette recording of it like jay bayliss has got like five of them and he's the only guy on earth with a rec- with a record of it i wanted to be have that vibe basically so what have we got we've got an alternative game of the year awards uh, situation going on what would normally be a box out in a magazine will end up being an hour of this podcast no doubt <laughs> so that's good section two we've got our top five holiday games it's gonna be quite a quick list of games that make us feel festive a little bit 
bit. That should be uh, that should be fun. And then uh, section three, we've got a Christmas mailbag where listeners have sent in some uh, Christmas experiences. Some of them are just wholesome. I got this present once, life-changing events. And then others are just like uh, sort of like tragic events that are played for laughs on this podcast. So that's what we've got, Matthew. Anything else to sort of like uh, say about this episode? Well, throughout the episode, we're going to be visited by guests. Oh yeah, of course. We, we, in in so I was. You see, it's interesting. You're thinking Star Wars Christmas special. I was maybe thinking more like Noel's house party vibes. <laughs> right. Throughout this podcast, you're going to hear the ringing of a doorbell. <laughs> right. As long as I can find the sound effect of a doorbell, and then some of our guests who've appeared on the podcast over the years are going to be popping in to tell us about their game of the year. Yeah. And then we will carry on with the podcast without acknowledging what they just said (laughs) (laughs) yeah we did originally plan to respond to them but because i'm flying to japan and some of them have not come in yet so that was that wasn't possible so so yeah yeah they're more like little think of them as like little ad breaks from some of your old favorites um telling us about their games of the year uh, and we'll see how that goes. So it's going to be quite chaotic. Yeah, and again, if any of them get cancelled before the episode goes live again, we're not responsible for that. So uh, I'm only joking, of course. And Matthew, maybe we should let the first one play here so people can get an idea of what we're talking about with the old guests popping in. Should we do that? Let's do that. Okay. <laughs> Take it away, guest number one. Hello, Backpage Boys. Uh, it's me, Ellie Gibson, off of uh, Ellie Gibson's Go 8-Bit, um, Ellie Gibson's Twitch stream, Ellie Gibson's Scummy Mummies. Where else have I been in? Uh, Ellie Gibson's Eurogamer. Anyway, uh, thank you very much for having me on the podcast this year. I had a lovely time talking to you, babe. And I understand you'd like more from me. Who doesn't? Uh, specifically, my game of the year. Uh, a role I take very seriously, which is why I'm recording this on my phone in the back of a minicab so uh i want to know what love is sorry i got distracted by the music um the point is game of the year it has to be look oh no no please so don't turn it down i'm enjoying it it's helping it's helping it's ambience uh my game of the year of course is uh the playstation 5 port of power wash simulator now it's going to take a little time <laughs> hang on no that's the song again isn't it <laughs> to explain but um Power Simulator, of course, is an amazing game. And I'm not, I haven't just chosen it. I just want to be clear. I haven't just chosen it because I am the Guinness World Record holder for the longest time spent playing Power Wash Simulator. Because uh, I did play it, of course, this year for 24 hours, 6 minutes, and 33 seconds. You were there, Helen. Yes, yeah, she officially did it. Yeah, she didn't I did. even make it up. You no. could. You could just fake it, but she didn't. You can't make it up. You've got to have a clocks and all sorts. Anyway. Oh, sorry. She does- Oh, do you make, people are going to doubt me now. <laughs> oh, honestly, tell you what, don't ever form a comedy double act. Anyway, the point is, um, honestly, obviously that's partly why I chose it, so I can mention my certificate again, but it is um, a fantastic game. It's so peaceful and enjoyable and, oh, it's just, it's just, I love it. I love it. Of course, um, when I do play it now, I do have flashbacks to what was quite it really started to kick in about 3 a.m from memory um, when i've been playing for something like 17 hours that's when i started to go truly mad but nonetheless i enjoyed myself and the point is i've got a framed certificate on my wall and um, to prove to prove that i did do it 
so even if I wouldn't recommend playing it for 24 hours to be honest but if you haven't played it definitely play it that's my game of the year it's much better than that bloody what's his name Alan Alan Woke I can't remember oh oh it's a bit smoothie a bit skip just just honestly calm down Alan just have a day off anyway 7 out of 10 uh, alright got to go uh, but yes Merry Christmas and that or oh, I don't know when this is going out Happy New Year I don't know or just hope you have a nice weekend depending on when this is broadcast do you broadcast podcasts or do you just publish them no, do you listen to it on, on a computer? I mean, we've been doing it for 10 years and we still don't know. Um, but yes, thanks very much for having me and I uh, hope this has made some sense. All right. Oh, we're nearly there. All right, bye. Wow, wasn't that a great bit of podcasting? Truly, like, uh, transcendent stuff. <laughs> a shocking choice. A shocking <laughs> choice to kick off this episode. Yeah, so I will say very, very big thank you to our guests who contributed to this. I basically had, like, the longest BCC fucking chain as i basically got in touch with every <laughs> single guest apart from dave scarborough whose email i don't have and jen's email i don't have hers either everyone else kind of got an email from me being like do you fancy this and so we'll see if um who responds but uh yes it, very nice to have them in here peppering um, peppering them around here so matthew section one then the alternative awards we've just about made this happen i think like we've pulled the sort of like uh the push the rock up a mountain to make some gags happen so we've got some uh yeah pretend i guess like jokey awards here is that the oh, best okay. way to describe them yeah okay yeah <laughs> well i mean yeah. I, I i mean I, t- I take the choices seriously but the the categories are not like it's like oh yeah, yeah. but some of them are like I, I i was thinking about them and thought yeah that's the correct answer and it's the correct answer ever the funny answer i don't know <laughs> right that's that's tricky so okay so maybe we just we should just kick off and, and we'll see where where it takes us matthew so yeah. Category one, actually, I won't do that because it sounds like a draft episode. Best hang is the first category. Matthew, who have you got for best hang for games from 2023? And this is just a really obscure character from Paranormal Sight. <laughs> is it Norma Sight? No, I picked uh, there's this lovely policeman called Jun Irio, and he's got lovely kissy lips. Anyone who's played that game will know what I'm talking about. He kind of puckers his lips at the end of every sentence, it makes him look quite sort of innocent and naive. Just a good hang. <laughs> okay great oh, interesting so is this, is this delivering on the concept it's just about yeah i think it's sort of like <laughs> good we're already deep into commentary on the concept of the episode uh just minutes into the recording I so mean, that's good. some of them are some of them are better than that but that is i was just saying yeah, he seemed like a good hang yeah so matthew's saying we're setting the boat the bar low now and that means that you can be blown away by whatever comes up uh, along the way hopefully so yeah okay so my best hang i've got i got two actually two shortlists okay. here so i've got uh luis in resi 4 remake he was you know oh, you, you, you hung out with him in a in a minecart and uh in some other areas in the house obviously in the classic set piece that was good but i've also got gav from ff16 he was like a you know of the characters in that game where well i suppose you could have sid here as well actually sid was also a good hang but <laughs> gav was just very friendly you know, heart on his sleeve kind of guy. I think it's got to go to Luis, though. It was sort of like, you kind of knew he was a good hang coming into Resi 4 Remake, and then Capcom just pushed that a bit further, so he he gets the top of the pile. What do you, what do you think Ooh, of that? I'm, I'm on board with that. I liked, I liked hanging out with him. I liked having him there in a boss fight that he wasn't previously in, helping me distract the enemy. So, yeah, a good hang. Yeah, I just worry that Leon, Leon S. Kennedy lacks sort of like, you know, sort of like male friends who he's got a straightforward relationship with. Like the whole... Krauser thing <laughs> just suggests that he struggles to make friends who aren't like 
demonic sort of maniacs basically and that's like that's unfortunate he doesn't really make any friends in resi 2 remake because everyone dies he makes friends with claire that's good but you know what i mean like he doesn't really get to just sort of hang with a guy and be like yeah, oh yeah i'm having a good like, time i wouldn't describe the settings of those games as like they're not like social mixers you know no i suppose not but you know like I it's not like my true mission tonight is friendship you know it's <laughs> get the fuck out of raccoon city yeah i suppose most of them are kind of colleagues aren't they like uh chris and Piers in uh resi 6 and uh, our beloved resi 6 and uh who's um <laughs> who's, Le- who's leon's pal in resi 6 again i can't remember name it's, uh, uh yeah yeah no. uh, okay <laughs> very good then okay we move on to the next category which is worst hang so i'm gonna go hit first here matthew i'm uh, putting all the npcs in pikmin 4 here including the spacemen ochi and evil ochi they're all going in worst hang <laughs> I think that was an um, absolute cavalcade of bad hangs in that game. Who have you got? I've got the uh, host of the Danica cast, Danica from Spider-Man 2. Oh, great, great choice. Danica's <laughs> taken some drive-bys on this on this podcast. It's been tough. Well, she should do a better podcast. <laughs> it's really, yeah, it's it's rough. Uh, it's like, yeah, if I got an advert for that podcast from like, uh, while I was listening to a Ringer podcast, I'd have to be like, fucking ter- get Spotify off my phone right now. Just absolutely <laughs> not. Um, okay, good. That's, that's fair enough. Uh, Okay, the critics got this wrong award. Kind of a jokey suggestion here. But I think like we wanted to pick something where me and Matthew were maybe against the grain of how everyone felt about about something. Is that how you've approached this one, Matthew? Yeah, no, but... (laughs) Okay, is this where you say that like Exoprimal is your game of the year or something? It's a bit of a soft one, this for me. I thought people were surprisingly cool on Fire Emblem Engage considering how good I thought it was. And I, I just thought it was top-tier Fire Emblem, as mm. good as any Fire Emblem I've played, really. I just felt like all the people who wanted more anime bullshit from <laughs> Three Houses didn't get it. But actually, critic, I mean, it's still got 80 on Metacritic. This one's quite difficult, because everything gets 80 on Metacritic, right? So it's it's not like... Uh, it's it's not the, it's not too easy to find it, but there is a more acclaimed game that I I know we were both cooler on. Yeah, that's the one I picked, which is Cocoon. Is that what you were yeah. thinking of? Yeah, it was fine. Cocoon wasn't it? It was like not that stimulating, but extremely well made. So it just uh, ended up being a, a game that weirdly left me cold, despite the fact that it was so dazzling in places. So. Yeah, that yeah. was a game that I played. I went into it thinking, I think we both said this, this is an easy entry on both of our Game of the Year lists coming up. Here we go. And then it wasn't. It was no Norco, as uh, as discussed. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Uh, any further thoughts on Cocoon? It's not me, Norco. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Um, th- th- yeah, destined to be the name of a box out one day. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, so Cocoon. Uh, do you have any further thoughts on Cocoon, like looking back, Matthew, or were you just sort of like... No, yeah, I've, I've read all these... Uh, actually, there was a great making of on i want to say Eurogamer, which talked about you know the, how long they spent on this game and how many iterations it went through and that it was a lot more complicated and then they kept boiling it down and given that my problem with it is i think it's been sanded down to like almost non-existent difficulty right um you know it's such a smooth trip that my brain didn't really engage with any of it it, it was interesting hearing that that was a deliberate process and maybe i i don't know maybe i think they took it too far that's fair enough um so yeah i think i felt i felt the same way basically and fire emblem is a weird one because i did play this at the start of the year i thought i'll oh, just jump on with fire emblem here because yeah. i played a bit of three houses and found some of the out of battle stuff a little bit uh time intensive i would say yeah. and this game actually does have lots of anime bullshit in it, despite what you just said, but it's different anime bullshit. It's a bit more juvenile and kind of like 
I don't know. It feels like it's aimed at a slightly younger audience, maybe. It's got a little... Uh, just, but the actual, the, the, the battling bit, which I just thought I did more of that than anything else, which was already yeah. a big tick. I just I thought it was sublime. I loved the the system of kind of building the characters, matching them with the the you know the old Fire Emblem characters, and giving them all these like crazy builds. Uh, this this just uh, yeah really uh, scratched scratched an itch, and and is in definitely still in contention for going in my top ten. Yeah, I think it's I I, I liked why I played it. I think I got ten chapters in, something like right. that, and I thought the battles were really good. So it definitely gets a tick in that in that box. I think that. It's suffering from the slight thing of a few years ago there was this thing of like oh is is fire emblem actually going to exist after this entry like with awakenings right that was like the whole thing with it and then yeah. now we're kind of at the point where maybe people are taking fire emblem for granted slightly that having like a really good you know tactics game like turn-based tactics game is something that you can you can take for granted when you've had a few of them on the trot and they've all been pretty yes, great you yeah. know there's a bit a bit of a risk of that but i do agree it's not i think it was like yeah definitely it was a great game to start the year off as well like a great yeah. january game you know so yeah, yeah. and i think just because i read some slightly cooler stuff on it maybe i was pleasantly surprised by it you know maybe i was reacting to that but um you know whatever it's it's got a got a, a fond place in my mind mm, okay yeah fair okay so next category is most surprising game of this year for better or worse should I go first, Matthew? Yeah, I actually haven't got one for this. So, oh, I got two. So, do you want to have one of mine? I mean, I've got. <laughs> <laughs> you tell me yours, and maybe it will maybe it'll inspire me. Okay, so um, <laughs> I think like Hi-Fi Rush should probably go in here because oh, that's a good shout. It truly was a surprise. You know, it sprung out of nowhere. It was you know, it's a kind of like a combination of a, of a couple of different game types. Really, you know, it's like a bit of a mix of hack and slash and rhythm action, and that was. That was new, so it's surprising in that respect too. It was surprising in how it looked for a, a Tango uh, GameWorks game, and uh, mm. yeah, it was a great, another great start to the year kind of game, right? Just a real cool, cool thing to kick things off. I didn't finish it, unfortunately. I got about five hours in, and I, I, I may actually go back and finish it before we do a game of the year episode if I can just about get to it. So we'll see. But um, yeah, it was uh, that was a surprise. Um, I was also going to say Exo Primal. That was um, another one. I thought, I think that game is doomed to be remembered as the game Capcom made instead of the Dino Crisis game that people on Twitter wish they'd made. Right. But it's actually like, it's pretty cool, despite the repetition and the the, the the obvious flaws in it. It was like a a really good seven, as I described on whatever episode we discussed it this year. Any thoughts on either of those, Matthew? Definitely Hi-Fi Rush as a, you know, a literal surprise. That works. Exoprimal, I just never gave it a proper go really like it was on a concert work and i you know tried a few fights and i don't know if you need to put in a bit more time for that thing to really like blossom out but it, it um didn't didn't quite do it for me actually i guess like a surprise of sorts was just how massive Baldur's gate 3 was right right the way it just sort of dominated the conversation and is seen as this shoe-in for awards now you know it seems to be the one to beat at the game awards which given that like the quality of the very best games of this year is kind of that's kind of mad to me not not as in i don't rate Baldur's gate 3 but that it has so easily sort of sauntered to uh top of the pile uh you know i i, I had full faith it was going to be amazing but not that it was going to find this kind of mainstream acceptance okay i still don't really understand it as a as a phenomenon because it's a complicated old game and quite messy and it asks you to have to take a bit of a leap of faith with it in many ways all the things games aren't meant to do it does 
you know it's kind of chaotic and it isn't sanded down to within an inch of its life and yet here we are it's uh yeah a, a a pleasant surprise yeah it's it's interesting that that game has become uh, it feels like a sign of the times in some ways of what people want from their games that it's like they are willing to put up with something very complex to get the things that they want which is characters they really like and a world they really like and good storytelling that people will will happily endure that next layer of like i guess like sophistication in the mechanics so where that leads to is going to be interesting because in some ways it doesn't really adhere to all of the stuff all of the kind of like like you said the sanding down bits that we've seen in like other blockbusters for the past i don't know 10 or 15 years right the ways they make it a bit simpler so mm. yeah curious to see what that leads to long term because people will buy millions of copies of this and they don't mind the complexity which is just fascinating i agree so mm. do you want to read this next category out matthew oh i think i might hear a doorbell sam oh <laughs> right okay okay oi oi not quite sure why I said that, but that's what you're getting because I'm only doing one take of this. Uh, Simon from IGN here to tell you what my favourite game of the year is, but only if it were that simple. It's been a classic tale of head versus heart for me at the end of this year, I think. I've been thinking a lot about this as, you know, having to do votes left, right and centre for this sort of thing. But as you will have heard on our episode a few weeks back, Remedy do have a huge place in my heart and Alan Wake 2 pretty much fulfilled everything I wanted that game to be I think it's one of the best horror games I've played in a very long time and I think probably Remedy's best today I'm not 100% sure on that yet don't lock me in on that now I usually do let my heart win overhead in situations like this but this year I'm afraid I'm just I'm gonna take the more sensible route and listen to my brain and pick Baldur's Gate 3 or maybe I just I don't know maybe I have one of those little lipid tadpole things squirming around in my head telling me what to do I don't know either way it's Baldur's Gate 3 this year playing Baldur's Gate 3 and thinking about it gives me a headache just when I think about how the hell did they make this thing the number of overlapping systems and how every decision like you know can just impact something 70 hours down the road like the sheer amount of dialogue in this game i don't know how many thousands of lines of dialogue there are it's absurd just the deep combat mechanics which you can kind of just kind of not engage with completely if you don't want to and that's just you know it's all just so endlessly impressive the way they build all this for you and kind of let you create your own story in it it's rare to play a game for around 100 hours and feel like every single mouse click or button press was of importance but somehow larian managed that it's it's just a bit of madness to me it's magic dark magic i don't know maybe i do have one of those tadpoles in there who knows but i just i felt fully satisfied with my adventure in that game and still feel like i didn't even see half of what it had to offer i can't really wait to jump back in and really explore what the dark urge has in store for me because I feel like maybe that's my destiny. I'm not even really a D&D person or really a classic CRPG person, really, but Baldur's Gate 3 just captured my imagination like no other game this year, and for that reason, I think it has to be my favourite of 2023. Plus, it's the only game I accidentally sent a gnome flying off a spinning windmill to his death in, so just banging stuff, really. Great stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, seamless. So, uh, do you want to read this next category, Matthew? Most spectacular set piece. Yeah, I actually just did this one today, but I thought this is kind of like the best set piece of a game with great set pieces, which is 
All I'll say is that there is a bit at the end of Final Fantasy 16 where three summons team up to fight like the big bad of the game and it's fucking amazing and i just had a great time watching that i technically didn't play much of it really. It was, right there is that <laughs> there is that but there is i could i guess i could also throw in the uh one of the ifrit bits that are uh, that are early in the game like um what's the one where he's like running towards that dude in the distance that's really good is oh, that the titan fight yeah the titan fight that might be the the one to pick instead because that is interactive and you have some really cool sort of like bit mix of QTEs, but also some actual like proper control. Really, really good. AKA the bit we think Platinum probably made. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, FF16 definitely thri- thrives at this. And I would never, there's no other Final Fantasy where I'd say the set pieces are what you should celebrate, but it's something that 16 does really well. But what have you got for this, Matthew? I really liked the big bit with the, the massive drill on the desert planet in Jedi Survivor. Oh yeah. Th- th- that whole sequence where you kind of go into the temple with who's that green witch lady oh i don't remember her name unfortunately you, you know her this, this, she's the character from the first one you're like his girlfriend yeah cow's like girlfriend anyway she's like a witch she's a dathomirian knight sister how do i remember that but not a name <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy anyway yes she's one of those and you go into this big temple and there's this big like robot like mining machine thing it sort of starts chewing at the temple and you do a mad escape from it and she uses all these portals to teleport you out and it's just a mad dash doing this really long chain of kind of like wall running and acrobatics but also jumping through these portals which keep kind of whisking you out ratchet and clank style into other bits of that boss fight and it's quite a linear platforming set piece but that's exciting um, Merrin's her name, by the way. Merrin, that's it. Is it is it a spoiler to talk about the portals bit in Spider Man Two? I think it's okay because it's firmly in the first half of the game. I think that's yeah, okay. that's yeah. quite a fun sort of out of nowhere mission in Spider Man Two where you are called to Doctor Strange's house, and for a second you think, "Oh shit, Doctor Strange is going to be here." That's really exciting. He doesn't turn up sadly, but someone does nick something from his house, which lets them create. Uh, portals and you then start chasing her through new york through these portals and you go through one of them and you're suddenly in like the arctic for five seconds then you go through a portal and you're back in the city and again it's that kind of fast loading tech that they created for ratchet and clank rift apart but used to a more spectacular effect here i would say that was good for people who haven't finished tears of the kingdom i thought the last boss fight in that was absolutely brilliant i thought that was an amazing end to the game and much stronger than the end of breath of the uh, breath of the wild but i did really like the colgera boss fight or in the winter temple where you're kind of the, the, the kind of flying one with the big dragon where you kind of smash through um the kind of portions of its body and it plays like the that, that that great piece of music it's uh yeah i i really like that as well uh, i i got i thought that boss was quite a pain in the ass actually because it didn't give you enough space to navigate around its big like whirlpooly things and like uh, you just couldn't avoid them sometimes and it just felt like a bit uh, of a fuck show so. i uh <laughs> i didn't have any problems um, <laughs> i don't know i don't know what that says but uh, okay well you know obviously. there's one of those things in the depths below you can just go and fight it for like fun and i have fought that thing again just because i enjoyed it so much <laughs> just to so make the point go. this deserves the win in this category no i'm not uh, saying it deserves to win i don't know which of these i'd probably make the ca- I like i don't know i, I, I don't mind <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's fair enough uh yeah i was gonna say that um 
Well, no, we already, I already did my, my ones for this, didn't I? Sorry, I'm getting confused with a different category where some of this stuff might come up again. Okay, cool. So next category, this is one of yours, Matthew, isn't it? Uh, best ox patting. Yeah, so I picked the Coney Island bit in Spider-Man 2. It felt oh, like the... same the, here. Yeah, like, there wasn't much ox patting this year, really, was there? But was Spider-Man the only game that really had any? They, they, you know, just for people who maybe don't listen to podcasts as much, ox passing oh. is a, basically like a... Traditional, the actual like gameplay systems of the game are chucked out, so there's some nice little interactive narrative bits with some cinematic polish. That's basically what we're talking about. Named after yeah. the ox patting from Uncharted 2, and there is also a bit where you ride an ox for about four hours in God of War Ragnarok last year. <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah. So uh, yeah, was there was there anything else this year that did this? There was a little bit of it in Jedi Survivor again. Yeah, I suppose so. There was that little sequence at the start where you think he's imprisoned and you kind of get taken through the city and everyone's kind of making fun of you and then you get to unleash some jedi magic on them so that's quite fun yeah I, it hasn't hasn't been a, a big year for this but then you know there haven't been loads of sony first party games so <laughs> that is true okay so this is a fun one the did this need a remake or remaster award obviously this goes to resident evil 4 remake i'm only joking um it probably <laughs> didn't need a remake to be honest but I did think that um, re- redoing Layers of Fear um, 1 and 2, for, <laughs> I, thought, I thought that's a good... I, I looked up, like, did any Spongebob games come out this year? And one did, but it wasn't actually like a remake of a PS2 game as I thought. It's actually a new game. So uh, Layers of Fear wins this one for me, Matthew. That's, that's, perf- that's perfect. Uh, yeah. No notes, okay. Uh, yeah. Ding dong, I hear the bell going off, Matthew. Ooh. Hello, boys. It's been a while. I'm Joe Scrabbles. I was recently referred to as a friend of the show which was nice, so here I am, in a spirit of friendly cooperation to offer a Game of the Year pick. I'm pretty sure all the sort of... Actually, I was going to say all the big games will be taken, but you've got a higher class of guest, myself very much included, so I bet there'll be some notable omissions. But I'm still going to go alternative with my pick, which is Dusson. The lovely French game about climbing an inordinately large tower. I loved Jusson. For some reason, I really like games that make climbing difficult, which is odd because I don't climb. I tried climbing two or three times and just lifting my sheer heft off the floor and then realising how much harder I'd hit the floor because of said heft really freaked me out and it was hard because I'm fat but there's just something about a game that makes a mechanic that is rendered so simple in so many other games more difficult that really appeals to me and it's why I'm the only person in existence who liked Ubisoft's I Am Alive if you remember that game and it's also why I like Jusson. Jusson is really pretty it's got a lovely sort of quietly told narrative that takes in lots of nice progressive themes and has a sort of vaguely French anime outlook on on its characters. It's got elements of eco almost in the way it builds the world around you without directly telling you what's going on. But it's the climbing. Oh, just the way it maps each of your hands to a trigger, putting in a piton as sort of a strategic marker of where you think you can continue to climb from, but making that a limited resource. A stamina system that sort of urges you on, but never makes you feel like you're fully failing. 
And then it starts building extra puzzles around that with sort of moving handholds and wind and sun that saps your energy faster. And then you start realizing that there's a critical path, but there's tons of hidden bits, some of them almost purely visual, hidden around the world. So it starts testing on where you think you can climb as much as where you have to climb. It's just a really lovely, compact piece of interesting game design. And there hasn't been much else I've played this year that's made me marvel at the work behind it in quite the same way. So yes, go and play Jusant. It's really cool. You'll be cooler for having played it. And if you have someone else on to do your slightly abortive series of indie game Hall of Fames, which I'm assuming you haven't repeated because it tanked when I was last on it, and said guest does not put Jusant in that list, then... Well, they've not failed. They just haven't listened to this bit. Bye, love you, Merry Christmas. Oh, it was nice seeing them again. Oh, great! It's great when they when they come to stay, but it's always nice when they leave. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Um, very good. Okay. I am actually going to use a ding dong. Okay. Yeah. Good. So I don't need to keep saying ding dong. Is what you're saying. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> if anything, that's probably making it worse, isn't it? So. No, yeah. I mean it's fun. You know, I'll cut them out and put them all at the end. <laughs> oh, great! What a nice, uh, nice thing to do. Okay. Um, so the what a cool mechanic just made made just for this game award. I've got a very specific thing in mind for this one, Matthew. Did you manage to come up with an idea for this? Well, I thought of Ascend for Tears from Tears of the Kingdom. Oh yeah. Oh great. That's a great choice. Yeah, really good. You know, like the ability to just drill Link through anything above him until he comes out the other side ends up, you know, being at the heart of loads of great puzzles and also just a really useful tool for that allows them to have a lot of caves and things which instead of you having to backtrack, you can just swim through the earth and pop out of in and, you know, as a technical feat, it feels kind of like magic. It feels like a power that most people would be terrified to give you, but um, you know, all just one one of many parts of Tears of the Kingdom's excellence. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I, I I thought this was really good for a few reasons. One, you needed to be close enough to the ceiling in order to actually activate it, so you couldn't yeah. turn it on all the time. And at the same time, I think it taps into that mentality of turning no clipping mode on in like an old first person shooter right, and just right. going to see what's outside the level kind of thing. Like I think it's got it, it taps into that a little bit, but it's part of the game, which I think you know is a really nice extension of the power set you get in um, breath of the world so uh, mm. i definitely will give the game that to matthew uh, so i've got the noisy um pull string light in amnesia the bunker basically to have oh. light to see where you're going you need to pull this string like three times i think it is it goes, and then the light comes on <laughs> and it only like it only runs for like a little bit of time and then shuts off again. And then obviously, like, you know, with the no- noise attracts the monster, the, the alien isolation style creature that's pursuing you through this bunker in the game. Not finished this game, but had a very, very good three hours with it. And um, we'll go back to it at some point. They're definitely the most I've enjoyed one of um, Frictional's games. So I just thought that was a really nice horror conceit, you know, a really neat idea. So, um, yeah, mm. pop that in there. I'll, I'll do your impression of it again. <laughs> no, I feel like I sound like a fucking idiot now. Uh, <laughs> I can't say, yeah, no, no, we're moving on. Okay, so is uh, this you put this one in here, didn't you, Matthew? Yeah, I put this one, and then I didn't write down what my entry was. I kind of <laughs> forgot. Um, this was best hub world slash area. Yeah, so I picked the uh, Kobo Observatory from Jedi Survivor, the big Imperial base with some X wings and Tie Fighters flying around it. That shit was rad. Well done, everyone. 
So uh, that oh, wins. Nice. There's some cool bits in FF um, FF16, some big fields and stuff. They're quite nice, I guess. But uh, yeah, yeah. What, what do you got? For I this was one? yeah, I was thinking in terms of like a, like a sort of home base, like a hub base that you return to. The ship in Shadow Gambit, the tactics game, is very characterful, and you have all these little side missions there, and they sort of they squeeze a surprising amount out of this very small ship, and it just gave that game's campaign a little more sort of shape and kind of coherence that maybe wasn't in Desperados or Shadow Tactics. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I like that little pirate ship. But um, yeah, definitely Final Fantasy XVI had some good areas too. Yeah, it sure did. I actually just did... um, I think one of the things that's actually magic about FF16 is that some of the hunts take you to some quite odd areas of the map that don't really have any other function. But you realise they're actually kind of secretly boss arenas for you to go and find and later on when these hunts become available and then you'll just see a big dragon sort of like patrolling this enormous marsh where it's quite sort of like misty and atmospheric and you're like oh they've actually thought about the environment and how they frame frame these creatures that you fight and it's it's a way to make them feel a little bit special i think so i quite like that link between the environment and the things that you fight in that game i think that's pretty cool so yeah okay so next category, Banger on the Soundtrack Award. What you got for this one, Matthew? This is a really specific reference, but it stuck out as the highlight of this particular game. In Bayonetta Origins, the spin-off of Bayonetta, sort of set in this picture book world, the music's all very kind of sort of tinkly and fantasy and childlike. It's quite Professor Layton-y. There's a lot of accordions and strings, and you're playing as child Bayonetta. But there's one boss fight where you 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 finally fight uh, one of the angels from later Bayonetta, you fight Affinity, and it's still playing all this like accordion fiddle music, but it suddenly breaks into a folky cover of uh, Tomorrow Is Mine from Bayonetta 2. like these two worlds colliding this kind of picture book world and this kind of attitude of the later game and i remember just thinking like that's fucking rap that's like a that's like a five star 10 out of 10 moment i wish there was more of that in this bayonetta spin-off but yeah just a great bit of fan service yeah very that's a nice choice actually i um i i, I kind of forgot that game happened this year and i don't think yeah it really it's made much yeah of one of those weird sort of weird sort of six seven out of tens that didn't didn't quite make it I feel like I've got to buy it because at some point <clears throat> I feel like selling a copy on Switch is going to be like get, net me £200 or something to some, re- <laughs> some, right, cre- okay. some creator, some some content creator in 20 years. So I might do that as a forward investment. You've got to speculate to accumulate. <laughs> exactly. This is um, my version of stonks. So that's good. Um, okay. So uh, I'm, afraid, banger? I'm afraid I have another Final Fantasy 16 entry. I've got to pick On the Shoulders of Giants, the uh, main boss theme from this game which is just really like dramatic and cool. It takes a little while to build up to it and then like some horns pop off and then it like it and then it really gets going and it's just When you oh. say some horns pop off, do you mean trumpets or do you mean like a creature's horns actually pop off and then it gets going? <laughs> I do mean trumpets, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, you, you know the boss theme I mean? I think it's like you hear it like a dozen times. It sort of like builds Can up. Do with... one of your little covers for us. Uh... I like it when you I it's like it like, when you hum a tune. No, because now I feel very self-conscious about doing it. Oh, I can't just do it don't, naturally. I, don't, I mean, it's nice. No, it's like, it sort of like goes, uh, 
No, I, actually, it's too hard to explain. <laughs> Again, this is why we you don't. Know do... what? I'll, I'll dig it up. I'll play a little excerpt of it right now. Cheers. Good editing. That's much more effort than I've put into our Final Fantasy VII episode. Ed- edit, Matthew. We're just like, I'll cut out Matthew's big arms, but that's all he's getting this week. That's oh, basically... thanks. <laughs> They're gonna, the There's listeners... a lot of big arms in that one. The listeners are going to get all 58 minutes of your recap of the story of that game. Oh, so, my uh, God. Well, in fact, well, it... they're like... I... If they didn't like that, they just won't be listening to this episode anymore. Like, if they manage, to, if you manage to get through my full recap of Final Fantasy VII Disc One, uh, you're in for the long haul. Well, that's it. Like, people are listening to this three weeks later. It's already happened. It's like Tenet, Matthew. I yeah. uh, side note, I saw a great comment about uh, on one of the like. See, I was watching a, te- a scene from Tenet for some reason, so I was using it to explain to a former colleague what our relationship was like. And then basically at the bottom, they said, um, someone said, oh yeah, I've been, uh, I've, I've gone ahead and seen Tenet too. You guys are going to love it. I thought it was a good comment. But uh, nice. anyway, I'm a big Tenet head, as, as previously established. So, I really uh, want to yeah. know which bit of Tenet you think you and your colleague were like. Um, I'm assuming it's a, a Robert Patterson and the protagonist style moment. Well, who can say? Maybe it's a bit of like a Russian Ke- Kenneth Branner. You know what I mean? Like there could be a bit you're of that You're like, on. I'm like Russian Kenneth Branner and you're like my, my terrified henchman. wife. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh gosh, maybe that is more accurate. Uh, anyway, um, let's move on. So, okay. Game I played for 10 minutes on Game Pass and no more than that. What have you got for this one, Matthew? I technically did play more than 10 minutes in it. Like, there's no game actually qualified that I only played 10 minutes, but I, I put Redfall for this. Oh, we played that for like two hours, didn't we? In the end, yeah, I know, but like that's the cl- like that's the closest I got to ten minutes. Oh, actually, that one where you um, cook all the Indian food, Venbo, was it? I was just thinking back to like my experience of that was trying to bake some kind of dumpling or something, fucking it up too many times and being like, oh, "Fuck this, fuck this game," <laughs> <laughs> and just I just can't believe I rage quit because I couldn't cook a virtual chapati. Yeah, a game that's like you know probably got like goodness in its heart and only wants to like illuminate and make you feel good and you're like fuck this i'm, I'm reinstalling fable 2 you know um <laughs> yeah okay so for my my one is um planet of lana it seemed like it was nice enough it's kind of like a sort of a bit of a more feel goody inside well at least it had mm. a little bit of that vibe to it but i don't really need any more games like that i feel like somerville got that out of my system a little bit i played like three hours of that and i thought it presentation was amazing but I don't know if I need more of the old um, side-scrolling sort of like narrative games. Not unless uh, it's hard to go after the the inside pie. Like that pie is fucking spectacular. You know what I mean? Like it's to like mm. imitate it is is tricky. So um, yeah, but uh, I, I wish no ill will towards Planet of Lana. In fact, I wish it well. So uh, that's good. Okay. Oh, now I'm thinking about pie insides. Mm. <laughs> Great. Um, okay. Is that the doorbell I hear again, Matthew? Hey, Will Porter here, talking about the best game of the year. Well, unfortunately, I haven't had much time to play many games this year, and my answer would just be a very boring Spider-Man 2. As such, I've drafted in somebody that does play lots of games and will be able to tell us what's big in the playground, what's been big in the playgrounds in 2023. I'd like to introduce you to everybody listening to Backpage Podcast, my son Aaron. Hello, Aaron. 
Sorry, I don't mean they're quite. They're, they're quite. They're gentle big men. They're big men, but they're not scary. Okay. <laughs> okay. Right. Right. So, Aaron, what would you say is uh, what's your what what was the game that you've been playing mainly this year? Do you think? Half the time I've been playing Goat Simulator, and half the time I haven't because I lost the disc. And yeah. I actually found it. Again. Yeah. So you think? Well, so technically, Goat Simulator Three we're on, even though it's really Goat Simulator Two. They call it that just for the funnies. So that came out last year, didn't it? But we've mainly been playing this year, so I guess that kind of counts because in kids' world, that kind of release dates don't really matter, do they? That's what we kind of learn. But like, so what? So what's Goat Simulator Three? What do you have to do in it? It's just really funny. You're a goat, as it means it's called Goat Simulator. So what else would it be? What does the goat do though? What does he get up to? Just runs around and headbutts people. Okay. Yeah. People. Yeah. So you need to talk a bit louder. Louder. You look louder. Like it, yeah, that's better. Yeah, because like they, they moan about. It, well, honestly, you wouldn't believe it. You, you come on this podcast. It's a microphone. This microphone. That. So yeah, so Ghost in Major Three. So it's basically like a sandbox. It's like a sandbox, isn't it? It's like it's basically like GTA fun and fun and games, but in a kind of family friendly zone. And it's also a goat. And it's also a goat. But you can check. But you've unlocked. And it was it. the first game that I ever heard swearing, in, and I was so happy when I first heard my first swear word. <laughs> It was, I think it was something like... Uh, okay, right, yeah. So maybe maybe I should have uh, realised that uh, there might be some swearing in it. But generally, it's quite family-friendly. Yeah. And uh, you can kind of, uh, you can drive cars, drive off things. They've got lots of different little quests and stuff in there now, haven't they? Yeah, which I can't be able to do. Yeah, I know, but I know you can't. So Aaron just likes, likes like rampaging around, and I'm just, just hover over him saying, why don't you do the quests? And you're like, no. But we did no, but we did do the quests, didn't we? So what happened What happened when, when, we, when we went through the... Um, there was a boss battle. There's a big dad, boss battle that Dad basically did for me. Uh, so yeah, so so that's one. So what? But what would you say is big? What's everyone else play? Like what's everyone else playing at school? Fortnite. Fortnite. Would you like to play Fortnite, Aaron? Yeah. When who's in what? Why do you not play Fortnite? Because that says I can't. Well, I think you're probably almost at the uh, at the at Fort, Fortnite age. So it's so it's, it's, all, it's all, all Fortnite all the time. There's nothing else that the the guys can can stroke their chins about and go, oh, I didn't realise that was down with the kids. I mean, plays a lot of games that he really shouldn't. Right. <laughs> right, we're not, let's, let's not. <laughs> okay, right, so yeah, so I think that probably, uh, probably wraps it up for now. So like, uh, people at school play games they really shouldn't, Fortnite, and we play Goat Simulator. Yeah. All right, cool. All right, so now we say, Merry Christmas. Merry Kishmas. Merry Kishmas. What that? What's that from? I don't know. Right. Bye. <laughs> oh, that was nice. Oh, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, just nice they popped in, had a coffee. <laughs> Barked at everyone for three minutes about their favourite game. <laughs> and left. <laughs> yeah, very nice. Thank you. Thanks to them for their, their noble sacrifices, those um, contributors. Okay, do you want to read this one, Matthew? This is the Good For You Award uh, for a game we acknowledge is good while choosing not to participate. Are we saying good for you? Whenever I read good for you, I read it in the Christian Bale voice. Uh, which voice is that? What's... You know that one where he's having the rampage on set and they record him? And he goes, well, good for you. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded more like, uh, <laughs> excuse me, princess. Walking around going, lordy dordy dor he goes. <laughs> <laughs> How many times did you listen? Since that in 2009. That was so good. His voice just sw- swerves from American back to his actual voice. Yeah, it's chaotic, isn't it? And uh, he's I'm gonna written... kick your fucking ass, you fucking prick! <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love this. This is fresh content. Uh, the imita- <laughs> imitation of Christian Bale from 14 years ago. Well, good for 
you award. Okay, <laughs> excellent. Yeah, I do prefer that, actually. So I put Armored Core 6 here. Oh, I've, yeah, same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've not engaged. Um, you know, I, people seem to really like it. I don't feel like I've heard, like, a continued conversation about nah. how good it is. It felt like it happened in, like, a, an isolated yeah. moment. <laughs> nah, yeah. There are, like, five people who, you can just tell the way they talked about it, they genuinely love this thing, and everyone else, it was just, it was all SEO, baby. Wes from PC Gamer, he definitely liked it, but yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, I read his, his, his review convinced me to buy that game. <laughs> Excellent. Well, there you go. And um, I wish I wish him well. <laughs> <laughs> Wes listens to this, so I'm sure he'll enjoy that. Uh, okay. Most cursed is our next category. I put for spoken here. I think it was just like the sort of like whole talking bangle thing. That demo just left the sour taste. In fact, I ended up buying it for ten quid with a load of art cards. That was just a quite strange, quite a strange situation. It feels like it, and that ended with that studio being closed as well. It, it, everything that could have happened that could go, could have gone wrong with that game felt like it went wrong. So uh, don't have a take on this, Matthew. I put down Gollum, which I watched someone play for ten minutes at work. And um, just instantly abandon. Gollum's a better shout than Forspoken, actually. That's a good one. Yeah, I don't. I mean, they're both. They're, they've both got that that energy. Does Gollum s- seem so misguided? It has to be surely the worst game Edge has ever put on its cover. You, you know, when you get the proper announcement treatment in Edge, and they talk such a good game, and it's very like trusting, isn't it? That that it's going to be this thing, and then it 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 was just uh, yeah, so so bad. Yeah. Um, I tell you, I tell you what's really cursed. Did you see any of the switch footage of the Harry Potter port? Oh gosh, no, I didn't. Is it really? Is it rough? <laughs> yeah, that's cursed. Because all the Mortal Kombat actually it was a d- double whammy for Warners this year between that one and the Mortal Kombat one on Switch. Oh yeah, that one I did see. Yeah, <laughs> amazing. That face was my face when I thought about the idea of making a full podcast schedule in December. That like, uh, yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah, they were, they were. That was good fun. Yeah, that was um, that was very good. Yeah, those are good choices actually. I sort of like the sort of the dodgy switch port. I feel like has, has subsided a bit in recent years. I feel like that people take fewer big swings now, and they're a bit more like realistic. Like they cancelled um, Midnight Suns on Switch this year, and they just put it on Xbox One and PS4, right. which would make more sense, right? They feel like the right systems for it. But yeah, uh, the idea of the switch running that game implausible. You know, you must know if you've made something like that that you're looking at it going. This is not good. Oh, they know. And we're going to get in trouble for this. They, like, they knew. They knew. Just every step of the way, there's the the people who made it, then showing it to Warners and going, ta-da! And then there's Warners going, well, let's put it out and see what happens. There's, yeah. I genuinely wish them all well. Must have been a really tough gig. <laughs> yeah, there's no no winners in that situation, really. No, no. But, no. but also funny. Good shout, Matthew. Uh, so, biggest existential crisis triggered. This is one of yours. What have you got for this one, Matthew? Uh, killing myself in Pavlov. Oh yeah, <laughs> great times. Yeah, good stuff that was. Yeah, this is the Pavlov Award. I just wanted to bring it up again for anyone who's forgotten. <laughs> oh, I've just that... bought, I've just bought Pavlov Shack. I got like a some some guy on Realbook had like a, a referral code. I got twenty five percent off of it. So eleven pounds oh twenty four, and I will stab myself in the chest, and I will shoot myself in the head. Definitely. <laughs> the so. word the word Shack makes it sound even more sinister. <laughs> Yeah, Pavlov Shack. Shack. What, does, what does the shack signify? <laughs> I don't know. It just it's got like sort of like grim abandoned hut feel to it, hasn't it? Shack. But is yeah. that is that like you can go into a shack and shoot yourself in the head, which is <laughs> even worse than just doing it in a multiplayer map in front of people. Well, I think it is just like a a more pared down version of the Pavlov experience. But I think I, Ian um, Ian from Eurogame just did a uh, 
sort of video about it, like a sponsored stream, and it did look quite funny. It was going up to some guy and like knifing him in the ass. I thought, okay, well, that looks like a <laughs> game. I, I, I'm going to play this and have some thoughts on it at some point. So that's definitely happening. It looked um, fun. He went up and knifed a guy in the ass. Well, not ass. that specifically. I'm just saying that, oh, a lot of like what Matthew promised me would be in Pavlov looks to be in this version too. Oh, yeah. So. It's, it's really like people love it but it's absolutely horrible that game like it 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 feels the closest thing to probably what it is like to shoot a person and that's that's a no from me dog <laughs> fair uh is it my existential crisis a little bit lighter than that so i was quite surprised to learn that i was quite saddened to learn i'm a fan of the weekend this year I ended up buying that entire uh beat saber pack of uh songs that he did in uh in vr and got quite into that especially the last couple of months and i thought i was like so out on that guy i was like laughing at his ridiculous hbo show that happened this year that was so embarrassing that one was it called the idol oh yeah i watched one episode of that and it was the worst shit i've ever seen so bad um it has nothing to do with him being like good friends with john denton of course um the uh, me getting into his music <laughs> but um yeah gave it give his music a go and i'm sad to say I've, I've gotten quite into it now and so uh yeah i'm afraid i've um i've been enjoying that shit so a light that's all right it's an, another another benefit of being in uh tr- full command of your uh, <laughs> space, space. yeah okay yeah i suppose that was the biggest existential crisis when you pointed out how profoundly single i was to keep buying like <laughs> random hardware bullshit or whatever uh okay good <laughs> Um, I haven't got a I haven't got a winner for this next category, Matthew. Have you, have you? This is the I've thought of a new recipe award for best virtual food. He doesn't say recipe. He's not fucking Cartman from South Park. He says recipe. That's how he says it. He, he goes says, recipe. 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 He doesn't well, say- that's how I. That's how I. That's that's how I interpret it. That's how I try to show that on the page. I'm sorry, but you acknowledge he says recipe in a funny way. He does. I, I acknowledge that. I'm recipe. on the record saying that. I'm yeah, correct. Recipe. Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> okay. He doesn't go repesaba. <laughs> repesaba. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, this is going a bit Star Wars holiday special now. Yeah. Uh, sea of Stars. Oh, good, good pick. Yeah, great food. I mean, it is just the the cooking mechanic from Final Fantasy Fifteen, in that when you camp, at, you can use the ingredients you've collected to cook food. Except it's all obviously done in a sixteen bit art style, so you get to see little sixteen bit meals be prepared, and uh, you know all the vegetables get sliced up, and the little illustrations and the the chopping noises are really nicely done. Very tasty. Oh, I licked my lips a lot during Sea of Stars. Tough break for Venba, a game all about cooking that you were like, oh, <laughs> fuck this or whatever, like whatever the food was you're making. And it just like this your piece of shit meal and you were like, forget this and deleted it from, <laughs> you, from your Xbox. But uh, Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Venba was, was good. <laughs> Great. Again, Matthew wishes it well, so that's good. Yeah. Okay. Uh, right then. So next category, least satisfying side content. So... This has to go to Final Fantasy 16, doesn't it? Oh, because, yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, like, the amount of fucking, like, uh, you go into a town and someone would be like, Clive, I need you to go get me some onions or whatever. And it's just like, <laughs> I just want to end this immediately. This is terrible that I'm doing this. And that happened over and over again. It's like, you'd hear people saying, that stew isn't very thick. And I was there thinking, do not fucking ask me to go and get some more stew ingredients. I would rather <laughs> die than do this. And it's like that. I think combined with the sort of like absolute shotgunning of regional accents from the UK in this game, I just thought I was knackered just listening to people in this game. I was like so many regions I had to take it at once. I just took took some real damage from that. 
what do you think, Matthew? Yeah, I, this this is all I had for this one. It could have almost gotten away with it if they were a bit sillier in the framing. I can see a version of this which is a bit more like Yakuza, yeah. in that there's not many ways you have of actually interacting with the game. You can just walk around, talk, and fight, which is all you can really do in Yakuza too. But, but in this one, the quests were just... It wouldn't be like just go and get some onions and something crazy happens. It would just be like, thanks, now we can have a delicious stew. Uh, yeah. And that isn't quite the punchline you want. And they just kept coming. When you're in the final stretch of that game and then the world floods with tasks again, you're like, I just can't do this anymore. Yeah, yeah, okay, fair enough. That's. Uh, I think that's basically like we're on the same page there then. That's good. I will give a shout out though to Sign Guy from tears the kingdom like that guy i every time i saw him i was like fuck this like no oh, this is just you just don't get that game that's no, good that's no, good content uh i get that like i get why it should be good and yet in solving it i never have fun or a good i never have oh, a good time it's i'm just I, like oh thank fuck that's over that's how i feel every time i do one of those basically so uh oh, yeah it's I, like just didn't happen did it this year for me that that, that game that's no, tough and it's gonna this game of the year is gonna be uh <laughs> gonna be a chore <laughs> good stuff there's gonna be a lot of heartbreaking in that episode <laughs> yeah i think so uh maybe there'll be some surprises and other shocks we'll see okay interesting it's sort of like matthew's gonna try and knife in the back like three of my favorite games to make up for me like <laughs> being out on tears of the kingdom that's it's gonna be not at all not no. at all no okay you're not that petty you wouldn't sabotage your own list for a laugh would you, you no just, no no that's not the kind of man you are okay no. Worst discourse. What you got for this one, Matthew? Any conversation around Mario's voice. Yep. It, whether that's Chris Pratt as Mario or like the mystery of Mario's voice in the new game or do we like Mario's voice in the new game? I can't think of a thing I give a less of a shit about than Mario's voice. Right. Instant mute from me on Twitter if I saw you engaging with that in a serious way. <laughs> it was like, no, but you're, but you're boring if you have thoughts about that and I just can't be, I can't be dealing with that. The, the discourse I really hated was the whatever the fuck happened after Baldur's Gate 3 with the don't expect this from indie studios. Do you remember that? Yeah, like this is like, is this bad for expectations or something like that? Because the game was so massive and everyone was thinking about it, it just pulled everyone into it and everyone had to have, not necessarily on this issue, but everyone had to have a take or wanted to have a bit of Baldur's Gate 3 content in their lives. And so you ended up getting like, just weird, weird shit. There was like some jealousy mixed in with just things which are so obvious they shouldn't need to be said. Every big game kind of attracts this. And because this was like surprisingly big and popular, um, it was particularly tiresome. I don't think anyone was saying they now expect every game to be like this. And yet suddenly everyone was like, well, it's outrageous. You should argue that. And you're like, no one is arguing that. Uh, I don't know where this came from. Tiresome, tiresome bullshit. And another wave of mutes. <laughs> Matthew's down to like three people. On oh Twitter yeah, now. basically my Twitter is fucking rubbish now because I've <laughs> muted half the people. It doesn't give me half the other people that I do follow and I want to hear from because whatever the fuck's going on with how it serves up tweets now. Yeah, and Blue Sky is just like two maniacs who love Blue Sky on there all the time. <laughs> <laughs> me and uh, who else it's is on you there? You and Jim Rossingle. <laughs> <laughs> Andy Kelly's on there as well. He's sort of like, I get a lot of Jim. And yeah. it, what he says is interesting, but he is like, that thing is 90% Jim. <laughs> I quite like the idea that Blue Sky is just Jim's blog, though. It's like, yeah, it's, like you get the, it's like you get early RPS, but it's just on Blue Sky. You know what I mean? That's, uh... yeah. <laughs> That's funny. That is very much the experience I'm having right now. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so uh, controversially, I thought the worst discourse was the people arguing about 
that guy who didn't want to pay influencers for content for coverage last week. Oh or, yeah, I was because one of those things where I was like, well, I, actually, I think that people maybe the thing we were getting upset about was that there was there was a comment about there being no coverage for this game or something. But I think like the idea that anyone sort of owed money for coverage you know even like you know with the best however much work you put into something like you're still never really owed anything and that applies to this podcast as well we're not owed patreon pledges it's just whether people value it enough to support it really and i think that's kind of true with everything it's like there's nothing owed you just have to operate by that premise but it was more i think the whiplash of being a journalist who had seen who remembers gamergate and being accused of being paid off by absolute bell and commenters over and over again and then just like that being a standard part of your work and then there being this paradigm where your expectations are such that you expect to be paid and i just i found that quite strange um honestly so that was like i I think in general i was just like it's a no from me dog on this entire thing let's just like contain the contain the damage and i'll just walk away you know that's um but i I think like the boulder skate 3 thing was worse because it was more far-reaching that said matthew if you were Bioware and you have to release a Dragon Age game next year, will you not be a little bit nervous about coming after Baldur's Gate 3? Would that not, like, be a real thing that you'd worry about? I mean, I'm just, I guess I'm, like, concerned trolling here, as they would say. Um, but uh, <laughs> what do you think? They are one of the few people who does have the resources to, to make a game like this. I don't really have too much sort of pity for, for you know, well, you've got to see what they make first. You know, it's, it's impossible, impossible to say, but... Um... I don't know. I just felt it was more like the idea that like a one like a one person team would be like it's outrageous that you think I have to make Baldur's Gate three and it's like no one's saying that one person like that's obviously mad you know yeah um, yeah that's fair enough Bioware maybe one of the only people where you're like well Bioware maybe you should make a great game like this and you probably could but I don't want to be armchair developer because what the fuck do I know <laughs> okay fair enough. Hello, Samuel Matthew. Not Jeremy Peel here, also known as Jamie Smith. I think we can all agree that 2023 has been a stellar year for game releases. Where I want to fly the flag for Jedi Survivor, as it's quite possibly one of the best Star Wars games to date, but seems to have gotten criminally overlooked. Unfortunately, it released during a cursed summer window, in which it found itself caught sandwiched between an overblown narrative about its performance and a series of flaming penis gifts on Twitter, clearly showcasing the benefits of Tears of the Kingdom there. Jedi Survivor, though, is the quintessential AAA sequel. It improves upon almost everything in the original, starting with the character's moveset, which begins where Fallen Order left off. Cal Kestis is a versatile and responsive hero that is now complemented by enhanced skill trees that progress numerous Force-sensitive abilities, and several different fighting stances clearly influenced by prominent characters in the canon though I refuse personally to use the blaster stance unless it was related to a trophy. Both the narrative and gameplay is well paced, Cal himself is much more endearing thanks to well-written dialogue, a more authoritative demeanour and customization enhancements, although I'm also not sure who is forgetful enough to leave the goatee beards within one of the many swamps. Improved visuals and variety of locations combined with slick traversal gameplay and satisfying light saber combat amount to a well-rounded adventure that has toned down the excessive backtracking and the egregious Souls-like influence of the previous entry. I played on Jedi Knight difficulty, which I can recommend, but this can be softened further due to a variety of perks, or some can make it more abrasive in New Game Plus. There are a few side activities that wouldn't look too out of place in the Like a Dragon franchise, especially the VR board game, 
as well as a couple of cheeky fan service nods as well. But the Trophy Hunt is out there, the 55 or so hours to achieve Platinum is well worth the investment as there are some interesting boss encounters and secrets to uncover along the way, especially when returning to the earlier areas. Overall, I think this was unfairly judged upon release and for those who passed it by, you can likely pick this up for a steal now that the commotion is settled down. Several patch improvements uh, have came out since. I think it's my personal game of the year and I had expectations prior to release. And now I'm just hopeful that a future follow-up will cement the trilogy's legacy. Better than the prequels, anyway. That's all from me. Good tidings to all. Okay, so um, <laughs> we move on to the much lighter category of the if I was a thirsty, overly online person, this is the character I would thirst for award. Brackets, this is not a horny podcast. What have you got for this one, Matthew? The mean mum from Final Fantasy sixteen. <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah, I see it. Definitely. Yep. Okay, yeah, I think you and I are aligned on that one, doll. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah. she's so mean. She is. <laughs> she is mean. But like, yeah, you do sort of see it though. Like, she's sort of like basically sort of Cersei Lannister, isn't she? That's her whole vibe. Oh, she one hundred percent. She seems stern. She seems mean. The thing is, it would never happen because I just don't have any power. <laughs> you know? Yeah, she, she, you wouldn't be able to like, you know, she, there would be nothing in it for her to like for you to give her a child. Behind the scenes, she's conniving because she wants to get her hand on like all my alias box sets. You know? <laughs> Which is, of course, why Catherine married you. You know, like she was. Yeah, well, no one in their right mind would would. I've got I've got nothing you need to scam out of me. Nothing <laughs> that I wouldn't willingly give away. Maybe my Japanese crime collection. Yeah, I mean that's worth quite <laughs> but, a bit. But that's money. niche. Yeah, that is that's worth quite a bit of money. She's I like that. What happened to that sort of like dud son that she has? She has a dud son at some point, right? Like her version is like a, a lesser Lannister child. Like, yeah, well, she has. Yeah, because he's he's the one that she's kind of um, she's plotting to kind of replace Dion as the kind of prince of whatever that kingdom is. Yeah, but does it turn you know, out that, he's that like place a... that, that gets blown up, and then you're like. Cool. Can't wait to inherit inherit this this smouldering pile of ashes. I'm gonna be honest with you. I know the names of none of the places in this. Like Walud, Sambrec. I don't know which one each is. I have no idea. Like it's the sort of French sounding one. Yeah, Sambrec would be that would be that one then. So yeah. yeah. Uh yeah, I think that's um I think that's a good pick for this this award. I guess like <laughs> I guess a runner up award for MJ from Spider Man two, you know, that's you, you know, that's it though. That's there's nothing more to be said about this one. We move yeah. on from But that's category. only if I I'm not a thirsty Exactly. Person, we are so I don't actually think that. We are Louis Theroux-esque outside observers, like looking at other people being horny and noting it. That's what we're doing in this. That's our, our our position in this ecosystem. Yes. Okay. Most irritating hardware launch. Uh I've got an answer for this one of you, Matthew. I haven't, but this feels like you just included this one because you wanted to get it off your chest. So <laughs> yeah, just the floor what, is yours. <laughs> new colours for the analog pocket. That's been tough this year. I think that's. Uh, I think it's just I can't be doing with like demand based. Like you got to be online at this time to get the thing, or you're fucked. Like that's we did that in the pandemic with PS fives and Xboxes. I can't do it again. I'm not doing it again. Like it should be in stock when I just rock up on a Sunday, a Sunday afternoon or whatever. Like. Just either just make more of them, or release bigger batches more infrequently, something like that. But yeah, that sort of thing is like that's like the number one obstacle to be getting an analog pocket. I think I cover it very much. So uh, oh, yeah. I just I just don't cover it. I just it, it's not even. I mean, it's on my radar, but not as a thing I would ever buy. I just don't know why why you need it really. Well, that's exactly it's that, that's the attitude that stopped us from having a Game Boy draft, Matthew. <laughs> 
but you can play these things on so many other devices. It's true. Yeah, it's true. Who needs an analog pocket when you've got the Nintendo Switch online service? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's got quite a lot of good Game Boy games. Yeah, there are, but I yeah. know that that will make people hiss and uh, puke. Yeah, in another five years, I'll have like three more games on there or something. It'll be good. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Okay. Last award, most eyebrow-raising livestream moment brought to you by DoorDash. Uh, this has to be the FF7 DoorDash thing where people thought an FF7 Rebirth reveal was coming and uh, it wasn't. It was actually an advert for DoorDash during the uh, Jeff Keighley livestream this year, Summer Jeff Fest. So uh, great memories. What a good time. You know, uh, E3 is gone, <laughs> yeah. but we have we have DoorDash. So that's uh, that's good. Okay, uh, Matthew, that's it. Anything DoorDash, else? Uh, DoorDash sounds like a NES game, doesn't it? It does, yeah, like a sort of like Paperboy or something, you know, yeah, that kind of vibe. Dash. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah, good. That's my final thought on it. <laughs> that's good. Those are the awards, Matthew. But is there time for one more, uh, one more knock of the door before the uh, the break? Oh, yes, there is. Let's see what's in Santa's parcel package. I don't know. No, it's, it's a person outside the door. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, okay, fair enough. This is a <laughs> don't confuse matters. And it's it's holiday as well, not Christmas. It's like you know, it's non-denominational basically. So, oh uh, right, yeah. okay, okay, good. Samuel, Matthew, Simon Parkin here, previous guest of your show and also the presenter, if that is the word, of the My Perfect Console podcast. Before I start, I just want to say thank you so much for all the work you've put into Backpage. I listen to episodes while out walking my dog, while uh, driving my car or sitting on trains. It's just been a wonderful accompaniment, comforting Thing to listen to every week and uh, I'm sure I speak for all the listeners when I just say thank you so much for all the time and effort you put into it even Games Court so you asked me to pick out one of my favourite games of the year I thought I would turn it a bit meta because one of the things that I like to do when I'm listening to an episode of Backpage Pod is imagine I'm playing a drinking game I'm not actually drinking because I'm driving a car which would be illegal or I'm sitting on a train, so drinking would be unseemly. But uh, I I imagine every time one of these phrases comes up on the podcast that I'm, I don't know, necking a shot of tequila or something. Anyway, some of these phrases are cursed. If something If something's cursed, you have to take a drink. Two giant men, if you refer to yourselves as two giant men, that's another drink. If uh, Matthew disses way forward... That's a that's a stiff drink you've got to take there. That happens usually once an episode. A tough hang. I'm not sure if you invented that one, but that is just a phrase that's always rattling around in my head whenever you, you do the podcast. I love it when, Samuel, you refer to Matthew as Matthew. I know that's his name and what else are you going to do, but there's just a particular way you say it. Uh, so every time Samuel says Matthew, uh, you have to take a drink. Uh, also, if... Samuel, you're referring to to a game that's in development that could go either way, but you're sort of feeling optimistic about it. You often say that you hope they land the plane. You're going to need to take a shot every time that happens. Uh, Those are just some of the phrases I've got. This is all said in absolute love. If you didn't say these phrases, I would be extremely upset when I'm listening to the podcast. So uh, I hope you take that in the spirit it's intended. And please don't do that for my episodes of my podcast, because I'm sure there's about a million things that I say every episode. So, yeah, I don't know. All of that, uh, That's that's been the game I've enjoyed playing this year while, while hanging out with you two. Uh, not a tough hang. The opposite of that. I can't remember what it is that you say when it's not a tough hang. A good hang? 
I can't remember. Anyway, you'll put me right, I'm sure. Thanks again. Have a lovely holiday. Samuel, have a great trip to Japan and uh, have a good time off. Uh, and yeah, see you in 2024. Oh, great. Just always lovely to hear from that, whoever that person is in square <laughs> yeah. brackets. Uh, yeah, just wonderful, really. Great insight on one of the year's top releases. Um, I will say one of the reasons that, um, that Exoprimal has a special place in my heart this year is just one of the the games where we talked about in the podcast and then i got like a series of dms from joe scrabbles and that that's always a sign of a good episode to me or like good takes he was like right. i'm a big extra primal guy and i was like that was like definitely a highlight in my twitter dms this year so uh yeah final shout out for that one matthew before we move on to the next section <laughs> shall we take a quick break and come back with our top five holiday games yeah and this isn't one of the doorbell breaks this is an actual <laughs> break. ding dong <laughs> Welcome back to the podcast. So in this section, we're going to talk a bit about our top five holiday games. I guess you'd say they're games that make us think of Christmases or Christmases past. Maybe they conjure up particular yeah. memories. Matthew, what, what's your exact definition for this? I went for games that I played at Christmas and so have a have a festive association rather than necessarily games I got for Christmas when I was a kid. Mm. The ones I got aren't at all Christmassy. Like I basically, for, for a long period of time, every Christmas I would get a point and click adventure or the point and click adventure game of the moment. So there were a lot of Christmases where I got Discworld and then Discworld 2 and then Discworld Noir <laughs> and they are not Christmassy games at all. And I don't think of them in, in, the, in that way where the ones that I've drilled in on, yeah, I either played them at Christmas or I played them at Christmas and they had a Christmas vibe, the double whammy. You were like, thanks, mum, you got me the dig, for example. That didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, uh, you know, there's that video of the N64 kid. Yeah. no 64! There's a video of me somewhere going, the dig! <laughs> Oh, amazing. Oh, it was yeah. like, oh my god, are you the dig kid? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was that kid who lost his shit over the dig and then didn't understand any of it because I was 10. <laughs> oh, dear. I'm so glad I made that joke now. You went much further with that than I could ever have anticipated, which is really the magic of this podcast, isn't it? Okay, good. Uh, why don't you start with your number five then, Matthew? My number five is the, I'd say not festive, it's the Room series. The puzzle games where you interact with puzzle boxes in in various rooms thus the room they're quite gothic you know they've got a bit of like lovecrafty vibe to them these rooms are often in sort of darkened mansions there is a little bit of christmas gothic to that perhaps dark spooky house comes with you know connotations of scrooge and dickens and there's a little bit of it but mainly it's because i played them at christmas and the cadence of the release like they were always coming out you know a year apart until they became a little bit more ambitious and that and that um, broke out so for a good three christmases in a row there was always a new the room game to play at christmas a four to five hour experience on an ipad Sometimes when you're doing a big family Christmas, you don't have time to just go and sit in a room and be antisocial and play like 50 hours of a game. Sometimes you're stealing half an hour here or there. And actually the, the room games fit a more social Christmas. It was the game I could play. And yeah, just 
very beautifully made, very polished things. Very happy memories of uh, tapping away through Christmas. I, I, you know, I hope they make another of these. I don't really know what they're up to since the, is it three or four? I think there's four of them now. The VR one as well, right? Mm, yeah, and the VR one. But you know, since since then, it's not sure what these guys are up to. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I think one thing I noticed is that I was picking games that were all from. 10 years ago or more because i think when we talked about like lonely lonely man christmas in a recent episode i can't remember where, which one that was that 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 concept is very real and it means that in my adult life before i had like a i was in a long-term relationship i was definitely spending my christmas days at least like two to three hours while waiting for a dinner to be produced to um you know to to kind of go through these games so that's definitely what prompted my number five which is red dead redemption's undead nightmare dlc and Ooh. I picked this because I finished Red Dead Redemption earlier in 2010. And I remember Christmas 2010, I came back to this with the mindset of, like, this is like a Christmas special where all the characters come back, but something wacky happens. And so, you know, basically Undead Nightmare is the zombie DLC for Red Dead Redemption. So it kind of changes the mechanics. So the towns become these locations that can be taken over and, like, permanently lost to the undead if you don't go and, like, protect them, basically. And then there are all these, like, monsters that pop up. There's, like four horsemen of the apocalypse and um, dotted around for you to collect and then like a unicorn you get at the end of it as well just really kind of fun like mounts basically like really creative weird rock star stuff and zombie versions of the wildlife a really far-reaching you know it's basically like um the sort of ballad of gay tony or like lost and da- lost and damned equivalent to red dead redemption mm. back when rockstar was big on the single player dlc which doesn't it doesn't appear to be part of what it does now so yeah, I think it also just re- memories of like being chased by zombie bears in the snow in like while looking for like I like I think the death horse is up in like the snowy mountains so you just see death kind of like going around oh and there's like um there's a yeti up there as well that's pretty cool it's just just memories of pottering around that snowy area and just lots of like weird stuff happening yeah you can you can oh, um, nice. but there's a bit where you confront him in the story as well he just starts crying about how he's being like ch- chased by poachers or something like it's uh <laughs> just you, good then you skin him and turn him into <laughs> a legendary hat <laughs> very good matthew so what's your number four my number four is twilight princess a game which came out quite close to christmas with the launch of the wii has a very autumnal slash wintry look to it an atmosphere it's set in a kind of decaying dying world i'm twilight sort of period it just fits the kind of nights were getting longer it was getting colder outside nestling down with this thing was was a real treat you know specifically it has one of the great snowy weird levels which is the sort of yeti's house where you go there and there's some really really bad bad vibes there and you start solving mysteries to work out what's going on in this this creepy house. Maybe if this came out in the summer, I wouldn't quite have those associations, but it, it just hit at the perfect time. Playing this in Bath with the projectile shitting rat behind me, as I've talked many times before, is a very happy early end gamer memory. This was also the last Zelda, I mean, Tears of Kingdom aside, that I I didn't really like cover in any in any way. Mm. You know, I'd only just joined the mag greener review twilight princess so it's it's one i could just enjoy purely as a punter and get pulled into the hype for it and working on the mag i could still read 
Greener's review and, and go, oh, holy shit, this is going to be this amazing Zelda game to play at Christmas. A Zelda at Christmas is is such a such a treat. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, yeah, I imagine there'll be many people like getting through Tears of the Kingdom this year, for example. And that's got like snowy bits in it, so you can kind of pretend that's a bit festive, can't you? That'd work. Um, yeah, it's got, yeah, it's got some, got some good snow. It's got some, uh, some nice sort of jingly, wintry music in it. Mm-hmm. Lots of uh, lots of nice things in that game. Um, so I'm trying my best to be uh, diplomatic. <laughs> God, that's your equivalent of people love it. Ah, <laughs> yeah. oh, Zelda: Tears of the Kingdom. Lots of nice things in that game. <laughs> Meaningless words. Okay, so matter before is the Beatles rock band. This did come out close to Christmas in 2009, and it is like actually the more you think about it, the more it seems ridiculous that they let this disappear so quickly. Like it must have been such a nightmare to pull it together it could only have happened in that one moment when rhythm action games were absolutely enormous and you know they could get the beatles music and likenesses and all this amazing kind of like visual iconography pushed into this into this game with this tour of their history as a band basically forming the crux of the quote-unquote i know story mode or whatever it is like the main the main way you play through the game the main order of the songs and meanwhile, it just has these really nice avatars of the of the four of them, just like uh, you know, doing their thing basically, and like across the different eras and reflecting their their styles and the time, and just obviously made with like absolute absolute love, you know. So uh, mm. yeah, I think it's um, I think I just think of the Beatles as like a Christmas thing as well because I think like I think this game did do that because we did get out for for one for that Christmas. My mum played it. I mentioned I definitely mentioned this before. She just couldn't do it. She tried playing like she's leaving home and she didn't understand yet to like press the button and push down the little sort of like right. string thing, um, the little string button. And she didn't understand yet to press both. And she got really angry. She said, I'm not doing it anymore. She put it down and like walked off. And then I was just kind of playing it by myself. But it was a bit more tragic. <laughs> You'd ruined Christmas. <laughs> I ruined Christmas. Ringo ruined Christmas. We all did really. Um, but nonetheless, a very, very nice game. But weirdly, I just, yeah, I think maybe it's because I've been watching that Peter Jackson documentary as mm. well. My little brother's told me if you put on another episode of that when you come down this Christmas, you'll get, you have to, you just have to fucking leave. Like you cannot stay because <laughs> he's just sick of like, he came in last time with his like Nintendo Switch and he was just, <laughs> and it just, oh, not this again. I kind of walked out and I was like, that's all right. If I put Justified on this year or something like that. But um, yeah, because what everyone thinks of at Christmas is Justified, a bit of Timothy Oliphant and a cowboy hat. But yeah, <laughs> uh, Beatles Rock Band. The only thing that can make Beatles Rock Band any better is if they uh, released uh, Michael Lindsay Hogg DLC. <laughs> And you just have a fifth player just kind of like awkwardly walking around the rest of the band members trying to hurry them along to something. Yeah, you have like, you have the microphone and as Michael Lindsay Hogg, you have to say his slightly awkward, oh, we'll, 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 we'll have another go at uh, filming that now. And uh, yeah, try, <laughs> uh, try it like this. And uh, yeah, so I think if we wait two more days, then we're not gonna have enough time to finish the special. You have to read out those bits that he says in the documentary. <laughs> yes, and the, it and the pauses, levels... yeah, at the end of the song, a big, yes, you have to hit, you have to say the lines karaoke style, except you're not singing them, you're just giving instructions. <laughs> yeah. And the uh, songs are 60 minutes long. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, really, really good. Yeah, like Beatles Rock Band though, like the idea that something that that special is lost to time is is quite is very sad. This is not X Men Origins Wolverine. You know what I mean? It's a different 
a different yeah. level of license game. Did you ever have any kind of interaction with this one? Yeah, I think we played a bit of it in the flat. I think Rich had it, or Rich bought it home. It was a bit of a latecomer to the Beatles. I hadn't listened to a lot of them, so when this came out, everyone was just flexing their natural Beatles knowledge, but it seems everyone had just has as a human being, and for some reason I didn't. Now I feel if it came out, I'd be better suited. You know, I, I know a few more of the songs, and I have a you know a few more opinions on it. So, yeah, I missed out a little bit on Beatles rock band mania. Mm, yeah, fair, fair. I think that's... Uh, it's like it was one of those things where I think it actually showed that maybe not all generations had as much interest in the Beatles as the the people who made the game assumed that we were, right. like, harmonics assumed, because I think you, it sold modestly, I think, you know. Do, do you like the new Beatles song? I've not listened to it, actually. I just, oh. I, I find it I very... I quite like it. I listen to, I've listened to it quite a bit, actually. <laughs> Didn't you say the music video is quite cursed? Oh, the music video is awful, because <laughs> it's like old Paul McCartney and old Ringo <laughs> with, like... CG like AI versions of Ugh. Lennon and um, Harrison kind of stitched in playing together except it's Ringo and Paul are playing as if you know like they were just playing in a session like they're, they're in like a music studio and John Lennon's just like larking about just look cut from something else the superimposing of Paul McCartney on any image instantly puts me in destiny mindset of that <laughs> destiny music video it's got a little bit of that imagine the destiny music video except john lennon is also there yeah uh... <laughs> have we talked about have i told you about the level in destiny 2 that had a secret room where that song is playing and then the <laughs> yeah, enemies are dancing so. to it yeah that's good um that's a funny i don't think i think that's like been been vaulted now in the old destiny you know content archives but yeah um did you see funny. that they announced today that they're they're doing that spinal tap sequel oh, well, um, they, they're so fucking old though yeah but they are but it's got like loads of people it's got like paul mccartney and people of that Il- elton john and people of that ilk in but i think it's a spoof of martin scorsese's the last waltz oh right okay it's that... like what happens if they did one last concert with all their celebrity friends i oh. think that's gonna and actually i was like oh I, I could be into that that could work as a thing yeah because the last waltz is a very specific like cultural artifact that you can riff on so um yeah yeah so so Colour sp- me intrigued so spinal tap and the dial of destiny coming soon basically <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay good um <laughs> so what's your number three matthew should we have a doorbell ding dong <laughs> hello this is Catherine castle editor-in-chief of pc gaming website rock paper shotgun and also matthew's wife my game of the year is shadow gambit the cursed crew which is the excellent top-down tactical stealth game from the now sadly disbanded Design Withers at Me 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 Games. In what is now their final game, you play as a bunch of undead pirates who must save their home from the evil Inquisition. And you'll do that by murdering, stabbing, stuffing people into bushes, possessing their souls, sniping them from afar, and possibly also firing them out of a cannon. Or doing all of those things at once. It's extremely good fun, and my favourite game of 2023. Goodbye! Oh, that was good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, great stuff. Anyway, my number three, Spider-Man Miles Morales. I should have put this one too. That's a good choice. A modern Christmas classic, a shorter campaign, which is delightful in its own right, because you can get through it in like 10, 12 hours, but set in New York at Christmas, but gives it a proper snowy Christmas makeover. It looks and feels very different to 
uh, the, the original Spider-Man game. Great start where you're, uh, I think, is it Rhino that you're fighting? And he, you're kind of chasing him and he pulls you through a, a very festive shopping centre, shopping mall, full of all the Christmas direct decorations and you're tearing it up. All of its other qualities, the strength of Miles Morales and the kind of warmth of all the family moments, that's all great. But the Christmas energy and releasing this at Christmas time alongside a new console, just a, a, a perfect touch, really. Yep. So I um, played this for the first time recently in October, which is maybe the wrong time to play it. But, you know, I still still it's got me in the mood. Enough. Yeah, close enough. Got me in the mood a little bit for that. I like that um, they've got uh, Yellow Jackets, uh, Jasmine Savoy Brown in this, also seen in Scream, mm. and they used her likeness. The shame the character's arc doesn't really quite land, but the overall festive feel of the game is definitely there. And it's a pretty successful uh, little sort of mini campaign. I think I agree with your your assertion, Matthew, that if they did smaller Spider-Man games in between the larger ones, that would actually work for me. Like, I could play another one in, like, Ooh. a couple of years or three years or something like that, you know, just be like, yep, like another Miles-focused game. That would suit me. His world is Ooh. just as compelling as Peter's. Just a, You get a bit more focus when it's just his game, don't you? So, uh, yeah, very, very good. Okay, cool. So my number three is Star Wars The Force Unleashed 2, <laughs> that festive classic. Definitely talked about this before, but lost my mind a little bit in uh, Christmas 2010. Uh, it was a weird year. A lot happened that year. I was like my sort of coming of age year, which sounds preposterous, but was true. And uh, and then at the end of it, I was just so knackered that I just sat and played The Force Unleashed 2 uh, three times in a row. Finished it three times in one day. Very strange day. Started like 8am, left my flat at like 8pm or something to go go to this train station and then like travel to see my parents at Christmas. And I will always remember the repeated levels uh, level design in this game because they just didn't have more than two years to finish it. So it was a very, very rushed sequel. Um, and then I always remember the um, the cool little twist where you could uh, pick the dark side ending and then like an evil clone of uh, your main character would pop up and stab your guy. That was pretty cool. That was, uh, that was good. <laughs> There's an arbitrary Yoda encounter in this as well. And some like uh, some naff hallucinatory sequences because it was like the 360 age. So uh, yeah, it, it actually like looked a bit nicer. The combat was slightly better, but they just didn't have enough time to build the game as sort of like uh, I guess like wide in scope as the original Force Unleashed. But I will always associate this with Christmas for whatever reason. So uh, there is Matthew. So the Christmas I had a breakdown playing the Force Unleashed too. That's the most me thing I could possibly say on this podcast. Really, <laughs> what's your number two? My number two is Last Window, the sequel to Hotel Dusk. Um, actually came out a little bit before Christmas. I had a memory of playing this at Christmas the year it first came out, but that isn't true. I actually reviewed this. It must have been the August bank holiday. It would have been when I was uh, down at the coast. and So it was baking hot, and I was playing this game about a load of people being sad around Christmas. But it is set in the run-up and aftermath of Christmas set in a apartment building which um, everyone is being evicted from because they're they're about to sell the building and you have you know a, a, just over a week to solve the final mystery of of the Cape West apartments it's just a great great depiction of christmas this game and being a bit lonely at christmas if you're going to do lonely boy gamer christmas or whatever we called it what did we call it <laughs> Lonely Man. I think Lonely Man Christmas was pretty If you're going to do it. a Lonely Man Christmas and just mainline the game, it may as well be about a guy having a Lonely Man Christmas of his own. Um, <laughs> he's, to- he's actually in command of his space, Matthew. I think you'll find. Yeah. Total- Not really, because he's been evicted. Oh, that's why that's <laughs> so- he literally losing it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, but yeah, Christmas Day itself, everyone gathers in the kind of cafeteria at the bottom of this building. There's like a sort of diner restaurant. And 
you just share Christmas Day with just the, the few weirdos who are there, and it's probably not even your favourite characters in this game, and it's just the idea that this, this day can kind of bring together people together, and that's a bit schmaltzy and sentimental. Well, I am quite a schmaltzy and sentimental person. You play a game of pool to try and win a better Christmas dinner, you get to talk to the nice waitress, and... Uh, yeah, I think it's uh, one of the more sophisticated de- depictions of like the moments that do happen in life where you just end up having a weird connection with people, you know, just out of happenstance of you all happen to be in a place together. And that does happen. And they often those moments can stick. Yeah, I agree. So I thought there's more for you to say after that. No, um, no. Stick sounded like it had like a semicolon afterwards or something. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no it's perfect time for a ding dong. <laughs> yeah, ding dong. <laughs> And uh, I was really sad that Christmas. Ding dong! (laughs) Here's why I love Exoprimal. (laughs) Oh, great. Uh, Yeah. Um, So, yes, uh, I I do agree. I've had those Christmases myself. I bet you're really looking forward to Alexander Payne's Holdovers, aren't you, Matthew? Oh, yeah. That looks like you're sort of like, uh, you'll be there saying this should win Best Picture, not Saltburn. Saltburn's not going to win Best Picture anyway, but uh, yes. Um, Saltburn, because we haven't talked about it. Very hollow, but great fun. Yes, exactly. That is the take, I think. Although, I will say, I don't think there is a bad take on Saltburn. I get the people who hate it, and I get the people who love it. I really enjoyed it. But Oh, it's just so entertaining. Yeah, how can you not? Uh, you know, you can't look at all of that and be like, I'm having a bad time. Surely no <laughs> one can think that. It's just, yeah. I think the entertainment factor is off the charts in that one. Um, yeah, was, I, thought was, I, thought, I thought it was good. I'm glad you enjoyed it too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. So we're on to my number two. Yes. Final Fantasy VII. So this was Christmas Day 2003. I had upset my parents um, because I had failed to participate in a Christmas, some kind of weird Christmas game my mum had conceived. And I'd ruined it, apparently, by finding one of my gifts before I was supposed to. My parents were quite big on, like, some kind of, like, escape room-style puzzles in order to, like, actually get my gifts. When I was I was kind of like, it's 6.45 a.m., I'm up, let me unwrap these things immediately so I can start playing, like, with this Power Rangers toy or whatever. That was kind of more my mentality. So mm. did that, got sent to my room for several hours. In that time, I watched the death of Aerith and then went into the mountains afterwards for some snowboarding. And the snowy um, sort of, like, surrounds of what Matthew is about to play in Final Fantasy VII, that is what reminds me of Christmas Day. It's just weirdly, a weirdly, not quite festive, but it's just, I think, being in that particular setting does stick with you. And it's quite a large portion of the game, um, quite a significant area of the game. So, uh, yeah, sticks with me after all this time. Um, and maybe, like, has added to the you know, the mythology in my head of why Final Fantasy VII is a little bit special. So, yeah. Um, what's your number one, Matthew? Maybe maybe I'll say Final Fantasy, the beginning of this too for Christmas Day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what, what will you actually be playing on Christmas Day this year, do you think? Probably nothing. Yes, um, yeah, same. Uh, I'm hoping for Mario RPG for Christmas. <gasps> I've asked for that too! So I might play a little bit of that. You'll realise that all of the Geno heads were right all along, Matthew. That's going to be like your, your narrative going into 2024. <laughs> Geno uh, taught me the real meaning of Christmas. <laughs> yeah, I can see the op-ed now on uh, Games Radar. And he was never in Smash Brothers, it's not fair! <laughs> <laughs> What's your number uh, one then? My number one is uh, the Geno Free Fable 2. <laughs> This isn't like a wintry game for the most part. It opens in winter, but that opening has uh, had a big effect on me and sort of sticks in my head and sort of defines the flavour of that game. You know, this very sort of Dickensian run-down sort of hovel that you kind of crawl out of at the start and you're these two filthy urchins who are sort of begging on the street and 
get a shot at uh, escape from this life spoiler alert it doesn't work out and sort of sets you on a on a big path of for vengeance but the kind of fairy tale british take on the rpg just feels inherently Christmassy to me. This feels like a BBC Christmas special. It has that kind of humour, that slightly kind of ramshackle charm. This isn't an HBO fantasy. It's a, a more local television level. Just big enough to like enjoy over a Christmas holiday, and but not so big to be like completely life-consuming. Yeah, just, just a, a deep Christmas energy that I can't quite put my finger on. But when I think of Christmas, I do think of this game. I think I agree with that because yeah, I do remember that opening very vividly. It does have a bit of the old something that would be on BBC One at 5pm kind of energy right. to it. You know what I mean? Like that sort of like right down to Zoe Wanamaker in the, you know, like narrating in the in the menus. And... Also, it's, it's kind of completely sincere, which is which is part of it. Very charming game. Yeah, exactly. It's like maybe the, uh, you know, maybe sort of like the, the prison, the spire area of the, the fable is less festive, but like the rest of it, yeah. certainly. Um, but you need a little bit, of, a little bit of peril. That's like Boxing Day, isn't it? Where you're like, oh, God, <laughs> I've got to pay the price now for all the fun I was having. Yeah, I think I agree though that like there's there's something fundamentally British and all, therefore autumnal about fable as a series like it. You know, and then like the sort of fantasy level of it is modulated. So it feels like a good fit for yeah like at this kind of like time of year in britain for whatever reason a fable pretty yeah. much always released at christmas as well right so that kind of yeah and it's the, yeah. It's, it's the difference between like you could take this world in a more like shrek kind of direction right which is very like summery very californian you know yeah 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 but it, it doesn't have that so it no. can only be played at christmas the idea of playing this game in like june seems perverse yeah <laughs> the idea of playground uh games sort of like making putting the same resources into a shrek game does fascinate me though um what a cursed <laughs> artifact that would be yeah so okay so yes and my my number one is very predictable it's bully the ultimate mm-hmm. holiday game and i've discussed this very recently because someone asked us about holiday games and i answered bully so i am repeating myself but i do apologize so, but the magic of this game is definitely the transition of the seasons um just stand out and the winter is just represented so well snowball fights and uh, like uh, snowmen you can sort of break and then like all the kids in the school wear, start wearing winter wear and the vibe of the town changes so it just feels like a wintry town in real life in a way that games never really depict because which games are set in a small new england town with a wintry vibe it's such a, a precise feeling and it's, it's so precise that it feels like it was inspired by something that one or several of the developers might have gone through like oh i remember that about this year they wanted to capture what it feels like to go to the fun fair at this time of year or just you know mm. doing your sort of paper round and like the feeling of getting to the end of the year and like i think um i think you can put uh jimmy the main character can wear like a little christmas jumper as well and it's just just the idea of them leaning into the the feeling of the setting in this quite sincere way that's the thing with bully is it's very sincere for a rockstar game like the kids are like motor mouth in the way that all rockstar protagonists and, and antagonists are but the actual like but they are kids and the game doesn't forget that and it does what it does want to make it feel like some moments of your life are as special as they feel to a kid when they happen and i think christmas is one of those so bully really is like the ultimate christmas game in my opinion then when the snow disappears and it becomes spring it's actually quite sad because you're like ah kind of back to school sort of vibes but uh yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) very good and uh yep yeah salt salt burn dlc when jimmy goes home with preppy boy (laughs) Mini game, we get to lick a plug hole. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, gosh, that bit of the film. There are a couple of scenes in this. It wasn't a collective disgust, but I could see people in the cinema kind of, you know, looking down the line of chairs a little bit in kind of, we're all seeing this, right? This is this is quite weird. Because <laughs> <laughs> I always go to the little theatre. You, No matter what film you're seeing, unless it's like Titan, you will always see like an elderly couple there or like, a, you know, a couple of elderly people who are like friends. And I... Just there thinking, what does that elderly couple at the, at the front think of like the that scene or like some of the other sexual the, content in that film? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. There was quite an older lady in the cinema with us who had one of those audio description headsets on. <laughs> right? It was turned up so loud you could hear it occasionally. <laughs> and it was kind of, he is in the bathtub. He leans down towards the plug hole. And <laughs> there are slurping noises. <laughs> That is so funny. That's amazing. What a great way to experience that film, hearing that in the background. <laughs> very cursed. Yeah, very cursed. Okay, those are the gamers, Matthew. Is it time for one more ding-dong? <laughs> it is, and seeing us out is friend of the show and creator of Videoverse, Lucy Blundell. Hey, Samuel Matthew. Thank you so much for inviting me back to talk about my favourite game of the year. So, I haven't actually played as much as I usually do this year, because... I launched Videoverse and life's been kind of hectic <laughs> leading up to that and after that. Um, I'm about halfway through Tears of the Kingdom and um, whilst I'm really enjoying it, I still feel like in my heart I have to give my game of the year to A Space for the Unbound. Uh, a Space for the Unbound is a heartfelt narrative adventure set in 90s Indonesia where you follow two high school sweethearts at the end of their days at school. But there's loads of like supernatural elements, things don't seem quite right, and it launches you into this mystery full of twists and turns. It's already been nominated for some indie awards, and even uh, Games for Impact at the Game Awards, so it's really nice to see that it's receiving the wide recognition that it deserves. It also has a retro pixel art aesthetic and a beautifully chill soundtrack, so it's really my jam. I absolutely love playing it. It shows some of the darker parts of ourselves and what happens when we can't safely express ourselves and that just moved me personally. Um, It definitely touches the human heart and I think that's what a lot of good indie games can do. So please check it out and have a great winter break everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye. Oh, great take. Fantastic take. One of the best takes I've heard this year. Okay, Matthew, should we take one more quick break and come back with some Xmas mailbag content? Let's do it. Welcome back to the podcast. This is the final section where we're going to go through some Christmas mailbag entries from our listeners. Basically, what we asked was for some memorable things that happened at Christmas related to games that had occurred to our listeners. There was a little Discord thread for it. And uh, yeah, we've got a bit of uh, content in there. Some of it's fun. Some of it's just kind of like this thing happened once. And, you know, some uh, you'll, have, you'll probably have an all right time at the end of it. So uh, as ever, <laughs> taking side swipes at our lovely listeners. I like to think that this is, the, this is like the end of Christmas Day where you've got the meat sweats from Christmas dinner. You're still wearing a paper hat and all the grease from your head has made it go a bit <laughs> translucent. <laughs> 
yeah very much so yeah very this vivid is very yeah. much the translucent paper hat of the back page christmas yeah episode. yeah <laughs> okay uh this is from Ryan Plugs. When I was six, I was a big Toy Story guy and an even bigger Mega Drive guy. That Christmas, all I wanted, unsurprisingly, was the Toy Story game for my Mega Drive. Christmas came, and as I unwrapped my gifts, something wasn't adding up. I got the Toy Story game, but in a big PC box. Santa had bought the wrong version. A Toy Story mouse mat that my mum said she thought was a poster I could hang on my wall. (laughs) My dumb six-year-old self hadn't caught on as to what was actually happening until the final gift was unveiled. A PC! Suddenly, the PC game and mouse mat made sense. I was over the moon for all of ten seconds when my dad said, jokingly, and now you've got this, we can get rid of your Mega Drive. According to my parents, I cried for an hour solid at the very suggestion. Pathetic. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you should have had your like PC and your Mega Drive taken off of you after that. I'd be like, we we've, we've raised a fucking loser and like just really put really put you in your place. That was quite sweet until the end, and then it turned into like I don't know something else. But uh, you, just know. Not, you, should, you don't need to hate yourself for this. You know, we all we all do dumb things when when we're kids. I like the idea that the mum doing a bit about a mouse map being a poster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, sometimes I think that parents think that like they've suffered to get you the gift, so they need to have some fun. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's a bit yeah. of that that goes on. Like, we we paid the price. We're gonna like piss you off a little bit for a laugh. <laughs> or it's like we know that you're gonna be happy. Yeah. Like we're about to do this thing, which is gonna blow your mind. So yeah. we, this is actually like a rare moment. We can bully you a bit. Like yeah. normally you can't do that to a kid, but it's like we can grind you down confident in the knowledge that we're going to lift you so far back up that you won't even remember that bit yeah except ryan plugs did remember that bit and brought it up here so uh yeah well, yeah so uh, uh well, they did a real number on you yeah they did you were like oh don't take echo the dolphin off of me oh that kind oh, of thing my, 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 i remember the same thing with my brother I mean, alex hates it when i talk about this on the podcast uh, when he got his ps2 and um you know, wept massively at it. That's the bit he hates. Right. Um, but the theatre of giving it to him and, like, giving him official PlayStation magazine and there being this... Like, that's how he, he got the magazine first to unwrap. And there was this beat of, like, oh, but I don't have what this thing's about, you know? Right. Um, so I, I do like that. Like, I, I hope one day I can have kids purely because <laughs> I want to fuck with them on Christmas Day. <laughs> really take them around the houses. <laughs> I think that's a good, yeah, lots of, like, misdirection in their gifts, basically. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Until the truth emerges, it's just a bag of oranges. Uh, it yeah. just builds up, it, like, the, the the lower someone can feel, the more ecstatic they're going to feel when they get the thing they want. Yeah, I do, i I got to say, nothing was ever better than when I unwrapped that PS2 in 2001. That was, like, just remember seeing the blue box and being like, oh, fuck, my life's about to change. And that, that being what I really <laughs> thought. And it did a little bit, I guess. <laughs> Because um, I was about to have The Matrix on DVD, as established in the 2001 episode. Um, also, Matthew, if you'd have been told by your parent, and now you've got this, we can get rid of your Mega Drive, you'd have been like there 12 years old. Go right ahead. I like Mario. Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been like your vibe, I think. Okay, I'll read out this next one then. 
I was an incredibly spoiled only child who was given a Dreamcast for Christmas in 1999. Commiserations. Um, that's that's <laughs> me saying that. Uh, brackets, absolutely ridiculous, which was lovely, except I also had the flu. So after a very exciting day of playing Soul Calibur most of Christmas, my main memory of that festive season is being played by feverish nightmares in which I, dressed as Killick, big stick and all, was forced to fight my father over and over again <laughs> in the Takamatsu stage. Was Sigmund Freud an unlockable character in that game? <laughs> oh shit, I just also just remembered a much better story as a little stocking filler in 2006 my mum got me a calendar with some world war ii spitfires on it which was very strange as i'd never expressed any interest in or about world war ii or aviation or any of it when i asked her why she got me it she said it was because i liked the nintendo wii so much the calendar had ww2 written on it in roman numerals <laughs> that's from naselin <laughs> That's really good. That's really good. So written Great. down, that looks like Wii, just to be clear there. Yeah. That is so funny. It looks like Wii. Yeah. <laughs> That's really good. Nothing more to add there, Matthew. That's really good. Um, Soul Calibur. Soul Calibur stood a banger. Um, had a great time playing that recently. Do you want to read the next one? This is from Sam. The first console I ever got was a Christmas present from my dad. He got me a SNES with Street Fighter 2 Turbo and NBA Jam. I was an only child and he refused to play the largely multiplayer slash arcade focused games with me as he claimed video games gave him headaches, which is why I think he only ever got me one controller and refused to buy others for future Christmas or birthdays so he couldn't be roped in. <laughs> yeah, there is this sort of like Christmas parents treat it as you've got like one token to spend with me while I would engage with you this Christmas. My parents will still talk about the times they built like a big Lego set for me on Christmas Day as if it was a massive chore that like ate into their lives. And they're like, oh, remember that, remember that year we built you the big blue spaceship? And it's like, why do you still remember this? Why do you still begrudge this? That was, but, uh, yeah. that was Kev's precious oboe time, remember? <laughs> yeah, he was there like, uh, yeah, just reading about this uh, Queen um, point-and-click adventure game that he couldn't play, um, angry about it. No, it's a very strange um, situation. But parents are a bit like that, I think. They, they, they can begrudge it. So uh, thank you for I, your entry. I like that letter. It paints a very, like, in a not many words, a very vivid picture of, of your dad. <laughs> I, I like, he claimed they gave him headaches. Yeah, claimed. Really <laughs> oh, good. I just can't, son. They just give it, it gives me headaches. <laughs> claimed is really good. Claimed has got big, sort of like, uh, almost Christmas means it wasn't Christmas allegation energy to it. So uh, <laughs> Also, that, that, like, this console... How did you know this console gave you headaches? You just gave it to them, you know? Yeah. My dad's this a... doesn't hold up at all. Where's Phoenix right when you need him? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so uh, I'll read out this next one. It's from Festive Vegetable Tart. Uh, that's not her real name, but you know, there it is. My mum never really bought my, me video game-related presents, and she didn't think they were good presents. One year, she did buy me Merlin Season 1 Part 1 on DVD, and then Merlin Season 4 Part 2 on DVD, so that was helpful. And last year, she separated a multi-pack of socks and gave me and my sister one pair each, because more than one pair was too much of a big gift for a stocking filler. Uh, great stuff there. The old, um, the old like parts of like a DVD box set, where they do like Lost Season oh, yeah. 1 Part 1. What a fucking like scam that was. They were like... Yeah, that was the noise were rough, man. Millennials have seen some shit, you know. One of the worst things I ever bought was on eBay when Love Film shut down the rental service. They started selling off crates of <laughs> X rental DVDs, but it was like a lucky dip. Oh, I remember like this. Yeah, it was like ten quid, and you'd get 
you know, a hundred DVDs, but you didn't know what they were going to be. Yeah. And so I bought two boxes of this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and it was all like season five of Grey's Anatomy, just three. <laughs> and then a Top Gear DVD and bonus features DVD of a two DVD box. So it was just such a cursed collection of shit. It's, we still got it. We never know what to do. It's like something Catherine brings up a lot. Whenever there's talks of like, there's too much shit in the house. How quickly she remembers yeah. the box of like assorted random Grey's Anatomy DVDs. Yeah, I don't blame her. If all the things in that house, so those could go, I think. But they are like a, a, a kind of like a good lesson about hubris, I guess. You know what I mean? If, like, yeah. If we ever do get round to doing the live podcast, I will bring that box along and I'll give every attendee a, a DVD out of my box. <laughs> Great. Well, that's an incentive. I'd like to try that early next year if you've got the energy, Matthew. Try and do the live show, but uh, we could talk about that off air. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, do you want to read out this next one? I'm pretty sure it was Christmas of 2001, just a few days prior to the big day I had visited the local Dixons with my dad with the hopes of picking up Silent Hill 2. I had to get my dad to get it as I was underage, 14 I think, but it was the two disc special edition and I was over the moon. Cue me playing it all the way up to Christmas, then on the 25th opening all my Christmas presents and then going back up to my room to play some more Silent Hill 2. I can fondly remember after Christmas dinner that year doing the bit where you have to row James across Toluca Lake, spending way too long with him rowing that tiny boat, hardly seeing anything and properly creeping myself out. Ah, memories. That's from Betamax Bandit. That's beautiful. Uh, thank you so Very much. Very nice. Yeah, lovely stuff there. A nice and, uh, creepy Christmas. Yeah, I think. I mean, I've discussed. I play Silent Hill two at Christmas, and we've. This is where Obohead comes from, so uh, we don't need to oh, relitigate yes. that. <laughs> Obohead's come up enough this year. Okay, next one's from Koig. As a kid, I would cut out ads or snippets from the Argos catalogue and pin them on the Christian notice board as an obnoxious directive to my parents to buy me this exact thing for Xmas. I recall cutting out a preview of Pez from the free Metro newspaper as part of a concerted strategy to get a PS2 for Christmas. I would reinforce this by making barely legible photocopies of said snippets in the fax machine and placing them in various spots around the house as a further reminder. It wasn't a foolproof strategy, but this time my months-long campaign beat my hard-working salt-of-the-earth parents into submission, and for Xmas 2001, I got a PS2 with GTA 3 and Pez. This remains a moment of such joy and wonder, I fear I'll be chasing that high forever. Interested to know what strategies the lads slash rest of the Discord adopted to get their gaming presence of choice each year. Well, I will say in response to this, I did, because my parents, my mum had like a thing, like a bee in her bonnet about Vice City. She just would not let me have Vice City when... It was 2002, I was 14, and I'd been given GTA 3 because Kev Roberts was deeply irresponsible, as previously established in the previous episodes. My mum wasn't delighted about that, but she never took GTA 3 off of me. But I think, like, by that point, maybe some of the the sort of, like, Jack Thompson-esque stuff had started popping up about GTA, so she was maybe, it was maybe more on our radar. So, right. And I, but I went to the trouble of like two pages of A4 about why she should buy me Vice City for Christmas. And <laughs> it did not work, I'll be honest. But they did rent it me from Blockbuster, which was even worse. It was a bit better not to have it than to have a little taste of it, I think. Oh. But um, yeah, so it had like big Bart trying to get Bonestorm in the Simpsons energy, right. I would say. That's kind of like the close. That's why I relate to the episode quite a lot. And um, I don't know what the equivalent of Lee Carvalho's putting challenge I got for Christmas that year. But I don't know, it's probably... What did I get for PS2 that year? I can't remember, actually. So I'm afraid I don't have a funny answer. But um, yeah, that yeah. was one thing I remember doing, just to try and like 
that's the only time I've ever tried anything like that to be like, look, it's it's imperative you get me for this for Christmas, you know? So yeah. uh, what about you, Matthew? Definitely doing the old explaining why something was good or worthwhile, wanting the Discworld point-and-click games. And, oh, you know Terry Pratchett, who writes the books I really like? Well, there's a game, and it's, it's really just like a book. It's just like a very fancy book. So, you know, it's not like a bad game. It's like a, you know, it's like a book which, you know, and you like you like it when I read and being very keen or like reading excerpts of reviews out to parents I've definitely done that going oh they say it's you know one of the best games of the year it'd be really great if we had what that game in our house and such clear memories of on Christmas day my parents would always put the presents under the tree like at night when we were asleep so you'd come down and then there'd be all the presents and you'd be looking for like anything which had roughly the shape of a pc game box because they were so distinctively shaped. You were like, oh, you know, if, as long as there's just one box that size, I know I'll be okay. Like, whatever happens, there'll be something cool here that I really like. And, you know, and then one year that box might be there, but it might be Cats, the virtual pet game for my <laughs> sister. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. You know, because my, my parents are divorced, and so we'd often, you know, we'd have Christmas with my mum's and then often have, like, a second Christmas with my dad. So then, you know, if if you didn't necessarily get you know what you asked for on one christmas there was like the sort of second life you know that there may be maybe the other christmas might might have the game maybe fun dad would get you a game <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know what you mean sometimes my mum would be like it's time you had some reading related presents and it never inevitably be like the lamest things the weirdest thing they got she got me that i felt really bad for never engaging with was like I was about I was about eleven. She got me this book called like The Kittens in the Kitchen, and it's clearly for like young girls. And like, <laughs> it came with like a cassette and a book. And I was like, this feels like the wrong gift. And like, it, was, <laughs> and it made me think like, in what world is this like better than getting me like I don't know Alien versus Predator on PC? Do you know what I mean? Like this, but often Aliens were... versus Predator versus Kittens in the Kitchen. <laughs> but then in retrospect, I actually find it like quite heartwarming she tries to do something a bit different i'm a bit like oh at least she yeah, like was giving I'd it like, a go you know yeah you know you, you can't look at a gift horse in the mouth especially when that horse is your mum um yeah or, or just... some kittens living in a kitchen yeah yeah um, the, the weirdest present i ever got was my grandma my dad's mum got me a um like a make your own wicker <laughs> it wasn't wicker store it was make your own seagrass stool right i don't know if you know what seagrass is like that very thick gnarly twine and it was kind of like make yourself this small four-legged stool and you had to like weave this horrible twine into the seat of the chair and that just for years became like the punchline of like you know if you need a joke about a bad Christmas present, <laughs> the make your own seagrass stool. <laughs> yeah, you know when I was like twelve, you know, like what twelve year old wants to make a stool? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like, what's I going to do? Make it and then sit on it in the corner where I was inevitably be told to go because I was talking too much or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's quite daft. I gotta say, that's uh, yeah. Um, but well, okay. I sh- that old kittens of the kitchen. These should be like, you know, bad secret Santa gifts, basically. Um, yeah. Okay. Good. All right. Next question then. <laughs> this one's short, but it's good. Uh, it's not a video game, but one Christmas I wanted a toy called Screwball Scramble. In I instead got Scrabble. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's from Dithy. Yeah, long time listener. Yeah, that's uh, that is funny. Um, and exactly, that's very much in the sort of like we World War Two mold. That one, isn't it? Just like a fundamental yeah. misunderstanding by older people. So uh, <laughs> very good. Um, it's this... what you wanted, and you're like, this isn't the chaotic marble game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's. <laughs> I wanted. Like, I asked for Grand Theft Auto, and I got a subscription to Auto Trader magazine. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. That sort of like genre of gift. Um, I think my only Christmas console story was getting a Wii for Christmas in 2006 with Twilight Princess and Rayman Raving Rabbids. Hey, they can't all be winners. To this day, I'm not sure how I convinced my mum to do that. The main thing missing was the second remote, as all Wii-related hardware was pretty scarce for a while after launch. So the family all playing Wii Sports had to wait. Though the Wii is probably the console I've played most in local multiplayer, so it worked out. My mum didn't know anything about games. Her total experience before me is apparently playing Pong once in the 70s. But to her credit, she knew uh, she didn't know anything, so wouldn't waste money buying something gaming-related unless I'd said I wanted it. That's from Camp Bell. Uh, no real punchline there, but just a nice little snapshot of uh, family life. <laughs> that's, not, that's not a judgment. <laughs> no, no, I, no, I'm having a great time reading it. Um, yeah, also, couldn't you, um, weren't some of the games turn-based in, uh, not turn-based in the XCOM sense, but couldn't you, like, play bowling, like, one after another, Matthew? In- yeah, yeah, you didn't need multiple remotes for that. Yeah, that's good. Tennis, obviously, not so much, but uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, it, yeah, good, good. Do you want to read this next one? This is from T Cozy. I had clearly expressed an interest in video games to my family one year. Unfortunately, they decided I would be joining the handheld revolution and I would receive the underdog console. No, not the Game Gear. I unwrapped a barcode battler, the console where all your groceries could become part of the game. I don't remember ever playing it. The next year I got a PlayStation. <laughs> <laughs> I have no memory of the barcode battler. Did you look this up when you saw this on the uh, the thing? Uh, I actually hadn't read through these. So I wanted to be surprised by them. Yeah, the barcode battler is like the most Homer Simpson's car-esque thing you can possibly imagine. <laughs> right. Like a really like not good, sort of like the tiger lcd handheld but like eight times worse not good um but yeah okay that's uh, imagine that's what happen if you used the barcode battler to scan the barcode on the back of agent 47's head <laughs> that'd uh, be what a gaming crossover that would be that's true truthfully if, if i'd have been if I'd someone got me a game gear and a sonic game for christmas i would consider that a great gift you know like uh, that's I, I was definitely more excited by the idea of playing that master system sonic game on like a handheld more than any of the Game Boy games in like you know the late in like the mid 90s you know what I mean so um, yeah but there's quite a big gulf between a Game Gear and Sonic and Barcode Battler and probably a bag of empty soup cans to scan you know (laughs) yeah some Horlicks you know yeah very good okay next one then my main Christmas related gaming memory was from 1997 or maybe 98 after years of our only home console being a NES my brother and I are unwrapping presents when one of us finds an N64 controller. In my probably faulty memory, there's a very distinct comedic beat as we pause, look at each other, immediately realise the implications and begin tearing through the wrapping on anything that looks big enough to be an N64. In the end, it was in his pile and we got the console. Two controllers, including a weird, chunky-looking third-party one that he decided to take. Very cursed gift, that. The uh, the old cheapo controller, classic 90s artefact. And Super Mario 64. I think every other console after that was either a communal purchase among the siblings or at least a present that we knew was coming, like the Xbox 360, where our parents bought it on launch day, but we had to live with knowing it was hidden under my bed until Christmas morning. That's from Withad. Very, uh, very enchanting there. You basically were the N64 uh, kids there, um, Withad. And uh, yes, very good. Um, no further thoughts uh, on my part. Matthew, anything? <laughs> oh, just amazing. Though, uh, though, 
shared console single player game that's got to be difficult at christmas yeah you'd want like a bit of a clean divide would you like, two people uh, warring over mario 64 that could get messy yeah you I... played long enough it's my go <laughs> there's this kid down the street from me who i always thought was incredibly spoiled because his mum went one year like i'm gonna get you a playstation or an n64 which one do you want and he just picked playstation and got one and then just i just thought like that was so different to my situation my parents would never give me that power to pick a gift because they always wanted to surprise me which is nice but they also didn't have the money some years to do things like that oh, so yeah. you know what i mean like i, I mean, always envy those kids yeah i, I had a like, i'm not gonna lie i had a very charmed life i'm not gonna like spin a spin a tale of woe or anything but you know even we had friends who seemed to get stuff so easily i knew this this kid in school called jordan and after like any kind of like exam or any kind of minor classroom achievement, he'd get a new SNES game. Oh, right. And after we did our SATs or whatever in like junior school, whatever exams you do in like year four or whatever it was, he got Mario Paint. <laughs> he got Mario Paint <laughs> for doing those exams and everyone being like, holy shit, he got Mario Paint. <laughs> I just imagine that like one day he sort of like shat his pants during PE and his mum bought him Chrono Trigger or something. You know what I mean? Like just sort of... <laughs> His family lived in a pub. Down, they lived in a pub, so they seemed very interesting because of that. Is, a, your house was a whole pub. Uh, that seemed wild. Is the pub still think, going? You, know, you had coke on, literally coke on tap. <laughs> is the pub still going? To your uh, yeah, it is. It's the, the cricketers in Oxford. Okay, it's not a Weatherspoons, is it? No, no. no okay. Small, small, small town. What's the most obscure pub? sort of like uh, game he got on the stairs? I remember Mario Paint. I think I maybe didn't, I hadn't heard of Mario Paint at that point, And it was just like, Mario's painting? Like, there's a painting, a Mario game? That's crazy. Yeah. Um, so you never got like Terranigma or something like that, you know? Just... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I think I only ever got to go around to his house to play once, thinking like, yes, I'm going to get to play all these SNES games. This is going to be the best trip ever. And then they just made us play out in the pub garden. Oh. Though... Oh, this is this is niche. I'll probably cut this out, but I'll tell you. Anyway, this just popped into my head. Sure. Uh, when we were in the pub garden, I remember him saying, "Like, do you want to see something really cool?" And I was like, "Yeah, of course." He like went just beyond the fence of the garden, and there was an old battered ladder. Right. And he picked up this ladder and he leant it against a nearby tree, and he was like, "Climb up this ladder and see what's see what's up there." And so I climbed up this ladder, and at the top of the trunk where the branches come out, you know, like the kind of nook of the tree. It was full of um, Coca-Cola bottle tops, just hundreds of the things. Oh, right. And I remember thinking, like, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> like, wow, what a thing. He's collected all these bottle caps in this tree. I was, yeah. Wow, very bizarre. He was saving <laughs> them for some kind of Fallout-esque apocalypse, maybe. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. that's the thing. In Fallout, that kid would have been, like, rich. Yeah. Oh, did you see the um, Vanity Fair pictures of Fallout, the TV show, by the way? I thought they were pretty did. good. That are pretty yeah. good. Yeah. It's her from Yellow Jackets. Ella Purnell, yeah. 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 And uh, Karl McLaughlin plays her dad. He's, uh, the, I guess, like the Liam Neeson-esque character in, in yeah. that. But uh, yeah, I thought it looked, it looked really good. Bit of Walton Goggins in there as well. It's uh, oh. always uh, makes a TV love, show. Love a better. bit of the Goggs. Yeah. Have you seen um, Justified City Primeval yet, by the way? I haven't, no. Oh, it's really good. Um, I definitely, uh, yeah. Let me know what you think of that when you do watch it. It's a sharp little mini-series that I had a very good time Ooh. watching it. Okay, next one then. Uh, is it your turn? It is your turn, isn't it? It can't be any worse than my ball cap story. <laughs> <laughs> you got to keep that in there now for the context. <laughs> In 2004, I was most eagerly anticipating GTA San Andreas. I was 15, and that was the age my parents deemed it okay for me to play an 18-rated game. 
Up to that point, I'd only played GTA 3 and Vice City at friends' houses and was supremely jealous that I couldn't play it. So my hype levels were through the roof for San Andreas and Christmas Day. I remember going to the cinema on Christmas Eve with my family and a trailer for San Andreas was shown before the film. I said out loud that I can't wait to play that tomorrow. No one said anything, so I had nothing to worry about. Come Christmas Day and I open what looks like a game-sized gift to be presented with GoldenEye Rogue Agent. (laughs) This was a big no from me, dog, but I suppressed my annoyance so as to not seem ungrateful. I did eventually buy San Andreas later in the week using my Xmas money, but then a few weeks later I asked my mum why she hadn't bought me San Andreas. What she said had happened was that when she went to HMV, apparently unaware that other shops sold games, she'd forgotten to take my list with her, but remembered the game I wanted began with a G. Asking a shop assistant, she asked what popular game that year everyone was wanting, beginning with G, and they told her it must be GoldenEye Rogue <laughs> Agent. In reality, I think they had lots of stock and they needed to get rid of. A very disappointing Christmas morning in 2004. That's from Angry Kurt. <laughs> that's great stuff, that is. That's got everything that one. It's got... That's again like the very. That's why the Bone Storm situation of Simpsons is so relatable. This was your yeah. Lee Carvalho's putting challenge, Goldeneye Rogue Agent. Uh, yeah. I saw- oh yeah, it must be Goldeneye Rogue Agent. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess as well, like maybe the shop assistant thought if you're buying it for like a kid, then it's probably not appropriate. So you'd probably want to suggest something that was legally appropriate. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe it's a bit of that, but probably. I, I love yeah. the brazen announcement of like. Oh, yes, that's what I'll be playing tomorrow when I unwrap it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I anticipate that nothing shall get in my way when I uh, unwrap the, I, I unwrap my copy of GTA San Andreas. Very good. And, yeah. and the parents are thinking, oh, that's weird. This isn't a trailer for GoldenEye Rogue Agent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. Oh, dear. Luckily, Kurt would... Um, I think Kurt was a big, like, everything or nothing uh, 007 guy. He's brought that up in the Discord a few times. Mm. And uh, he's ne- he's never happy when I slag that off. I wasn't a fan. A, a quick Christmas Day point of order. Um, <laughs> just him saying a very disappointing Christmas morning. Uh, are you a morning unwrappers or evening unwrappers? Oh, morning. Uh, ri- evening's like a rich person's thing, isn't it? Like, you go to church and then come back and... You go to church, <laughs> do something boring for two hours, come back and then unwrap the oh, gifts. Before we have like that's a me and my family burned. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, is that what your family does? Yeah, we op- we don't go to church, but we open in the afternoon. Oh, that's fine. Yeah, I think it is a little bit. Is there a little bit of a class divide thing there? Is there? I don't know. I, but, but you know, the thing is, though, my parents are not working class now. They were working class, but they just act like they did when you know their parents were running right. christmas basically but i i don't think that's necessarily the careful terrible now i feel <laughs> awful about that no that's fine we uh we don't unwrap until the washing up's done after lunch that's the rule i've got that thing now as well where i'm like i'm i'm like oh yeah i'm in my mid-30s there's no need for me to get like massively excited about this and then i fucking do i see the pile oh, of gifts every time yeah, yeah. i'm like but even though i know yeah. i'm getting a load of books but my, like my brain switches into like i could be reading a new higashino book right now <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. It's like my mum's like actually this year they want to go quite all out with Christmas. I think it's because there was like not to get too into it, but a health scare in the family. So there's a little right, bit right. of like we'll go all out. And so I've been like there's a lot of like Amazon wish lists going around for the first time. But Ooh. I don't find that enormously instructive because a lot of the bullshit I like can only be obtained on eBay through very dubious sellers. Much like your <laughs> um, your, your crime fiction, Matthew. You know, you just have to go to some weird places to get it. But uh, anyway. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we get a lot of these um, people go oh we're not really doing christmas this year so don't get us anything and that's a little bit annoying as someone who quite like 
Christmas. Yeah. The idea that people are just opting out of it. The idea that because you're an adult, you can't make any day special anymore. You have to like just be miserable all the time. And like that's just yeah. like, it's not, oh yeah, I think yeah. I it's think, like, yeah. well, I'm I'm not opting out. Like I'm still doing, you know, I'm still getting people presents. So no, I just know, got. I like doing it, and I like getting presents. Yeah, that's it. I just got fucking Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII on PS5, and I'm having a great time. Thank you very much. Oh, and the thing, the big thing, I'm trying to shut down at the moment is. Uh, Catherine's suggestion of like, why is a present to each other? Why don't we get some dining room chairs? <laughs> and I'm like, ugh. I mean, I know it's the grown up thing to do, but also, oh my god, please that's like, no. That's like, please that's like, no. <laughs> that's like if, getting if, a school. That's like getting a new school uniform for Christmas or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's. Yeah. Uh, it's just. I just like the the little bit of me that's still fifteen, you know, just couldn't ever forgive me if I went along with that. Can you not just? So I'm like, why don't we just buy loads of games and stuff? <laughs> can you not just like spend some of the Patreon money on some chairs? That's doable, well, we isn't can, it? Like we can just get that. Well, that's that's the point. Like we can just get like dining room chairs in the spring. Yeah, that's just the thing that we need to get for the house. I um, agree. Surely, like Catherine has some like I don't know, sort of like you know anime bullshit she wants you to buy like something some kind of like no i think it's because we're both there's nothing like major in either of us needs so we're sort of struggling to think of anything so it probably is sensible but it's this it's not really the spirit of christmas like getting it's too close to that seagrass stall for me <laughs> yeah she knows literally she knows a chair. That i've got chair-based traumas at christmas <laughs> it's like i don't want i don't want to unwrap anything i have to sit on that's basically your policy <laughs> at christmas <laughs> oh amazing i'm sort of because i'm going to japan i'm gonna i'm gonna try and like bring back you know i've got like eight friends right we talked about this recently matthew i'm gonna like bring back each of them like some nice gifts from uh from japan whether it's like some capsule toys something like that maybe she just suggest to Catherine that she should get into like collecting uh, like good smile company figma or something like that and she could start collecting 100 pound anime figures or something but uh oh, anything anything to avoid the chess <laughs> yeah okay we have two more of these then matthew um do you want to read this next one when i was in my late 30s in front of my family and my siblings assorted partners my nan without warning gifted me a book on dating tips always nice to find out people think you need a helping hand usually we work off of gift lists so surprise presents are a rarity in my family a double surprise i guess that's from personal idea <laughs> what could like a book teach you about dating i mean i guess this is before the uh... oh check you out fucking boast man no i'm the opposite <laughs> man i'm the guy who's like my self-esteem has been destroyed from 20 minutes on tinder what could a book possibly teach me <laughs> samuel roberts about dating no i just mean <laughs> i just a bit of a naughty's gift that do you know what i mean it's got that kind of energy because you would never tips. you'd never be able to do a book on dating tips in like the tinder age because one page would be like if they wrote nothing in their profile don't fucking bother because that's the kind of tips that people give me about dating now so that that wouldn't be in a book you know what i mean like that's uh it's not gonna happen okay what's that, what that the game that book about yeah yeah that book Maybe about that. if your nan bought you that that would be grim yeah it's also just uh i feel like that is such an outdate the negging thing is like such a sort of like pre-social media concept people fucking hate that shit now so it's uh yeah but um anyway next up then uh last one one year i got three copies of mario sonic at the olympic games <laughs> i'd ask for the <laughs> new mario game mario galaxy was quite a downgrade and the three video game shaped boxes really got my hopes up each time oh my god <laughs> that's from jamie that's the worst christmas ever oh dear i'm that's sorry that's like jamie you. once 
Shame on uh, fool me once, shame on you. <laughs> fool me twice. Oh god, it's Marisonic again. <laughs> I think the other thing is they they probably thought, well, he asked for Mario, but this game's got Mario and Sonic in it, so surely by like just quantity of characters, this is a better game. So uh... also like just terrible communication between the other present buyers. Like our family's very big on. Oh, what are you buying, Mum? What are you buying, so and so? What are you, you know, just to make sure there's no crossover. Yeah, that's the thing. Just messaging my brother, being like, "Do not get my mum the number seven gift set from Boots. I've, I've done it. It's, it's in the bag. You know, that kind of thing." Uh, yeah. Well, Three copies of Mario Sonic in Olympic Games. What would be like the Awful. modern version of this? Like, what would be like the game you would ask for, and then the worst scenario of what you would get? I guess it'd be getting like Mario Party, whatever the latest one on Switch was, right? Oh, that- but even that's like. You know, Switch game is kind of fun. Um, what could be the biggest mistake? I think if you asked for like a Final Fantasy game on Switch and you got like that Chocobo GP one, that would be tough. Yeah, that would be that would be that would be bad. Feel like there's a killer one just just waiting out of reach. Yeah, we fucked it, Matthew. Oh, Christmas is cancelled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Quick doorbell. Yeah. <laughs> Ding dong, get us out of here. Ding dong. <laughs> I like the idea of someone in the 90s or asking for like jet set radio and getting jet force gemini that's what something i hope happened at some point <laughs> yeah, I hope that's it's, a good, yeah. yeah i hope someone that got that happened to them uh, i did appreciate you tweeting me by the way when jet force gemini hit the uh, nintendo switch online store matthew we may have discussed that two episodes in a row now actually oh, but, right, uh, yeah. <laughs> it stays with me maybe i'll play that version over christmas and report back um or maybe on the way to japan i'll play that and see how it goes okay matthew the holiday special is done it was a bizarre little episode, but I think it was quite quite jolly in the end. Did you think so? Oh, I had a great time. I loved everyone's stories. They were fantastic. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, all, all I want this year is an improvement on my last Christmas when we all got COVID and watched The English while shivering under blankets, Hugo Blick's drama The English, which is about like <laughs> basically getting like diseases in like in the early days of america that was cursed um oh like a, a bucket of kfc that got reheated like twice i think because my mum insisted we ate all of it that was cursed and then uh yeah that was basically what happened so uh that was uh it was a good time by the time people listen to this you've come back from japan yeah right? who knows what's happened in that that oh journey God. yeah gonna go see a big gundam statue gonna go to the ramen museum that's just in yokohama then i've got other plans um i have been told i have to do some basic lost in translation-esque stuff so i'll be doing that as well but uh have you been before uh only once on a press trip years ago that's where my uh negoshi story came from remember oh, of was, course yeah yeah, yeah yeah that was like 15 years ago though so it's been a long time and uh that was like two days so this is like yeah 14 14 days matthew to fill so uh it's gonna be so exciting yeah yeah absolutely. i hope you become a side quest in the yakuza game <laughs> <laughs> just like like a broad-shouldered lost tourist or something like that that could yeah. be my sort of like vibe um, i feel like i'd get beaten up by that mr what's his face though that big dude i feel like because uh, I've, I've got like a lot of yen for the trip what's oh, his mr. name mr shakedown i think mr shakedown would fuck me up and take my yen and then i'd be like oh no and then i'd have to That's ask you've got all your yen you've been talking about how much yen you've got in your <laughs> didn't, you, didn't you tweet it i don't think i tweeted it i got two thousand pounds worth of yen though and it's <laughs> yeah, like right wait once have you listened to this uh, what mr shakedown <laughs> well i'll just yeah. get i'll get key to get the money back for me you know what i mean like, that's what you do isn't it you just go up to him and you've got problems and he'll sort it out for you so uh oh that guy was always a nightmare i just he took so much money off me but i never got back how many people do you think have only played that game in the yakuza series i was thinking about this because on Steam, it's got something like five times the number of reviews of the next closest Yakuza game. And it made right. me think, does that like 
do you think most people just played that and thought, oh, that was awesome, and I feel like I've had my fill now? Do you think people have that experience with Yakuza a bit, because there are so many of them? Yeah, or they played it and went, that's not for me. You know? <laughs> yeah, also possible. Uh, plus, it's like always like two quid. It's a, it's a classic, the uh, Yakuza Zero, isn't it? So, uh, okay, <laughs> the episode is over. You can not support us on Patreon at the moment, but you will be able to again in January, patreon.com slash backpagepod, uh, when we reopen pledges after this month is done. Uh, Matthew, where can people find you on social media? I'm at Mr. Basil underscore Pesto on X and on Blue Sky I'm Mr. Basil Pesto no underscore. Who knows by then you would have deleted your uh, Blue Sky account who uh, who can really say. Um, I'm Maybe. Samuel W. Roberts on both and the podcast is Backpage Pod on both as well so Twitter or Blue Sky take your pick and we'll, we'll share the content either way. Our next episode is the Game of the Year episode. We finally did it so uh, look forward to that next week no doubt that took fucking four hours to record or something but uh, yep good times uh, see you later Matthew. Bye bye. Wish happy Christmas. Yes, happy holidays. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye bye.